I'm really trying to think of a racism Merlin dad joke off the top of my head, and I can't. That's a I very mean, niche market you're trying to pull off the top of your head. I'm basically a dad, though. I can joke about racism, um, and then it'll be fun, and you guys can just sit in awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, oh. this is amazing. Welcome back to More Listen Guys, a monthly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters, and everything else we can come up with. I'm Zincredible. And I'm Snowfox. And today we are here for a special episode that wasn't originally scheduled, but we felt that given the current times, the current times, wow, I'm very eloquent today, um, the current climate of the world, this really should be something that we address now. And so today we are going to talk about Merlin and race, specifically black people, but also other people of color on Merlin. For this, we have a special guest. Her name is Sophie. Hello. I am a guest and I like to think I'm special. Yes. You are very special. (laughs) Yes. And our guest. That makes you doubly special. My gosh. So yeah, we are here to talk about that. Before we get into anything else, we're going to have some fandom history. Woo-hoo! Sophie is a first-time guest, which means uh, we want to know how you got into Merlin and when you got into Merlin and if you are active in fandom in any way and if yes, how. Okay, so... I have a very common story with the whole Merlin thing. If you couldn't tell, I'm American. Hi. And around the 2009 area, Merlin aired in America, but only like the first three seasons. Series, sorry. British words. Um, <laughs> series. I, I, I can promise you people will understand what you're saying, even if you are being very American about it. Oh, thank you. Great. Um, French fries. No, okay. Um, so... <laughs> Only, like, the first three seasons aired. I watched them when I was, like, six years old with my family. Yeah, six. (laughs) Um, I was really into it, but then it stopped airing, and my parents were basically like, oh, our kids are young. If we just never bring it up again, they won't remember it. Not true. I do remember (laughs) it. And when I got Netflix when I was, like, I don't know, 14... I watched the whole thing because my one friend was into it, but even she only rewatches the first four seasons like over and over again. <laughs> Correct. And so I watched <laughs> the first four seasons with her and she was like, don't watch the fifth season um, because there's a point you can't come back from. <laughs> so I watched the fifth season because I'm an idiot. And then I just got sucked into the hole and here I am today. Woohoo. You know, that is very valid. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to me to think that like because of course people will be discovering Merlin after it came out and I know that logically and then logically I also know that that means that they could be discovering it at a much younger age than you know I discovered it or a lot of the people I know in fandom but six to think that someone at six years old but that's yeah I mean it's such an old show now but you know by fandom standards that we're still here talking about it and it was supposed to be a family show so yeah exactly and we were a family (laughs) shocking just one shocker after another (laughs) maybe watching Merlin from such a young age was what started everything wrong with me today (sighs) 
That's a scary thought. That's a thesis. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do anything in fandom? Do you participate in fandom in any way? I do, but not publicly. I might have <laughs> I might have to start being public after this comes out because then I can have things to harass you on Twitter about and link people yes. to. Yes. yes. Here's the thing. If I ever decide to share my usernames with all my deep dark secrets, um, you can find them on my Twitter and Instagram, which is Canoe Pirate, C-A-N-O-E-P-I-R-A-T-E. No fancy spaces, no symbols. Follow those or don't, or just check them. I don't care. Woo-hoo. It'll be great to see you there. All right. So as I said in the beginning, we're going to talk about a very current topic. And of course, the topic is being the Black Lives Matter movement and how specifically Merlin, the show and the fandom deal with uh, the characters who are not white and how the fandom deals with them. And if there is racism in Merlin and if yes, what does it look like? And for this, as I mentioned, we have a very special guest. Her name is Sophie. She's already said hi. Say hi again. Hello. Hello. Wonderful. And I think it's best if uh, Sophie explains herself why she's our guest today. That's fair. Sophie time now. Okay. So hi, I'm Sophie. I'm a freshman in college in the United States of America. Um, And I am here because... Our two lovely hosts are very white. Um, and I'm not very white. I am partially white, but we'll get into that. Um, <clears throat> so, basically, I function in the world as a racially ambiguous, brown, mixed person. I have experienced racism uh, quite frequently, but it's usually not racism for the race that I am. I am black and white. My dad is black, my mom is white. They function as black and white people, respectively, in society. Uh, My brother and I is where it gets a little more complicated. I'm often mistaken for either a Native American, a South Asian person, or a Latina person. And people often think my brother's Japanese, probably because he speaks Japanese, which helps, certainly. Um, But yeah, I have been, I have had a front row seat to plenty of experiences of American racism against black people and brown people. And I also know a lot about Merlin. So when the question was asked or posed for a guest, I was like, if no one else with a better perspective on this issue answers, I would love to help out and be a guest and talk about things. So there you go. And we're very glad that you reached out to our question and offered to spend your time talking to us about this on this lovely Saturday morning for you, afternoon for Rox and me. Because, yeah, as you said, Rox and I are incredibly white, like super white. I don't get tan, I get sunburned. And um, it wouldn't have felt right to do an episode on racism in Merlin without any black person. I appreciate that. I would like to say, um, if you have things to say, like, about anything, um, I'm not going to yell at you, and you can always edit it out if it came out wrong. So don't make me talk for three hours. I will start crying. Um. <laughs> no, no, we, I mean, I, that's, that's another thing. Like, ideally, 
another black person would have had the time uh, and motivation to talk to us. But like I said, it's well, rough you know, out there. It's rough out there. And it's no one's obligation to educate us on this topic. And like, we don't want anyone to feel like they have to explain things to us. I mean, we are adults, we can read up on these on these things ourselves. But and but ideally, you would have had at least a second guest so that you guys could have like had more of a conversation and said you have to talk to us the entire time. That's okay. I live in a very white place. I talk to white people all day. I got it down. <laughs> well, that's I'm relieved to hear that. Um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I didn't realize we had a lingo. That's that's how white privileged <laughs> I am. I didn't even realize we have a lingo. Oh, I was going to mention uh, my b- black privilege um, when it was said <laughs> that people didn't uh, sunburn. I've never gotten a sunburn in my life. I have been yelled at on the street, but I've never gotten a sunburn. <laughs> That's truly, that really is the epitome of black privilege, isn't it? Yep, There's no right aloe there. for being yelled at, unfortunately. So. <laughs> eh, you win some, you lose some. You lose some human rights. It's all good. It works out. It, it does not work oh, out. Man. And that's what we're going to talk no, about today. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, what I was going to say is that obviously we're not going to make you talk the entire time because then it would take on the character of you giving us a lecture, which was never the intention. We wanted to have an actual conversation with you where where we learn some things, where we maybe get to ask some some questions and where you can share your experience and your impressions. Fantastico. So, so that's the that's the goal and I hope we can achieve it Great. to your mostly your satisfaction and the satisfaction of our listeners and then thirdly our satisfaction anywho i just promised that you wouldn't have to be like super lecture mode however you have a expert topic that you are the most educated on out of everything else that you are more educated on than we are for this episode which is afro-british history yeah okay um i'm not gonna just launch into like a, a whole class on this i'm not I'm not mad educated on pretty much anything because I am a baby human. Um, But I do know a decent amount. I took um, the religious and cultural history course from Harvard Extension Division a few years ago. I'm in the first year of anthropology studies at university. And like I said, I was going to major in Celtic history. Um, So I did take like a page and a half of notes on that and on black people in Arthurian legend and Arthurian England, Britain area. So, yeah, if you have time for that, I'd be glad to expunge. Yes, please. Absolutely. Very interested. So um, I started off with a disclaimer that said Arthurian legend isn't one solid thing. It's made up of authors from all over Europe from all sorts of times. So first off, we need to define the term Celtic, which, funnily enough, does not have a solid definition. Um, Celtic areas, I think, if I'm saying incorrect things that I don't remember is um, pretty much all the way from the western edge of Eastern Europe to Britain um, and down to parts of the Mediterranean. So it's a lot of areas. And we know that Black people were present in Greco-Roman history. We know they were present in Mediterranean history. A lot of people don't know that they were also present in British history, which they were. If you didn't know, now you know. Okay, um, so talking about specifically in Arthurian legend, um, 
the first person that I encountered while doing research on this was our main man's Percival. He has a half-brother, which is actually really interesting because his half-brother's name is Farifus, if I'm saying this right. They have the same dad, um, but Farifus's mother was a Moor from Spain. So that was by a German author in the 13th century, which was a long time ago. That was the 1200s. That was like during the occupation of Wales. That's a long time ago. Um, and the interesting thing about Farifus is that, first off in legend, he was not treated with racism. There was no, um, in the original poem by the German author, who I didn't take down his name because I'm a dummy, um, he was not treated poorly because of his skin color and, in fact, was actually um, pretty affluent, pretty and very good in battle. Um, he had a bunch of armies. It was great. It was fantastic. Him and Percival, they were friends. Um, this is a very roundabout way of saying he was mixed race. But I don't think the author had ever met a mixed race person, or at least if they had, they didn't know that they had, and they thought it was just a black person. Um, but he's described with, like, black and white skin patches. Oh, yeah, I remember which that. Which could be vitiligo. Um, but it's also quite possible that this old German dude just didn't know how race worked. Um, which is, I was almost said valid. Which is understandable, <laughs> given the time. I feel like patches, though, that almost does sound like he was trying to describe some kind of skin disease rather than an actual person's, you know... Well, there are plenty of skin, people with the way vitiligo. It what was that, sorry? There are plenty of people with vitiligo. Yeah, uh, is that is that what Michael Jackson had? Yes. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, um, yeah. After a so. certain... Well, there were compounding factors with Michael Jackson. But yeah, yeah. after a certain point, yeah, your whole skin can be lightened. Um, yeah. The, people used to think I had vitiligo because when I was born, I had like half my stomach that was like a different race than the rest of my body. But it's evened <laughs> out now, so I guess I didn't have it. Oh my god. I'm, I'm sorry. It's perfectly all right what you said. It's just like, imagine this. My stomach was a different race than me and the rest of me. It's just... <laughs> That's what white people an... say when they like really like Mexican food. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Oh god. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Please go on. Percival has another brother. <gasps> I'm what are we thinking? Oh my gosh. His dad was just ooh left and right. Um. All right. <laughs> so this is from a Dutch poem, which might have been translated from French. We're not sure because we can't tell which one came first. Um, from the early 14th century, so around 1320, called The Romance of Morian. And Morian is a dude. Oh, wait, no, he's <gasps> actually, he's actually, well, he is a dude, but he's actually um, Percival's nephew. He's not his brother. I lied. Um, okay. His brother. You accidentally lied. You I didn't accidentally know you lied. lied. I um, actually intentionally misled all of you so that you wouldn't <laughs> understand this and I could remain on top. Um, anyway, no. Um, so Percival had a brother named Sir Aglaval, um, who had a kid with another Moorish princess. They're, where do they all come from? Um, and the kid's name was Morian, but he did not have vitiligo, skin patches, anything of the sort. He just looked like a black dude. Um, all right. So I have a thing called points. Um, points at the bottom, basically overall takeaways. Number one. 
People writing these legends knew that black people existed, knew they where they were from, and they were considered it was considered no more taboo for a legendary knight to father a mixed race child than a white child. And race was not recognized back then the way it is today. So it makes sense that they wouldn't put it in modern racism, like in Merlin, that sort of thing. There we go. I have more Which, notes about like the fictionalized kingdoms in Merlin and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But, but this but yeah. this perfectly transitions us to Merlin the show and what they do with race because we've said this on this podcast before and I read this in a scientific article so it must be true of course <laughs> that the Merlin universe itself doesn't care about race in the sense that skin color is like in any way or shape important to the characters. There's no discrimination based on the color of anyone's skin in They're their too own. worried about magic, honestly. Yeah, they're too... Exactly. The, the the oppression or racism that happens is, like, founded on ethnicity. So, like, the druids are, you know, harassed and, and murdered because they're druids. But uh, white but... druids are killed much as, just as much as black druids, and that's equality. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, you're gonna get killed because you're a druid. So, you know, in a way, it's the big equalizer. Um, I was gonna say, did Uther end racism? Is that his biggest positive quality? Isn't there that meme where it's like, we may um, all uh, live our lives as different races and different uh, wells and all that kind of stuff, but in the end, death is the one equalizer and then it shows a picture of the pharaoh's tomb <laughs> it's like oh god, it wait. it's like that meme oh my god uther made this meme where it's like all the organs of different races and it's like black white asian hispanic and then someone comments like where did you get those <laughs> oh my god there are no pharaohs in merlin though so death is the great equalizer in merlin. actually never yeah, mind that is fortunate i'm glad they never got their hands on egyptian magic <laughs> but yeah merlin doesn't really um mention race at, at all. all like yeah yeah the only way that it okay it does and it doesn't because, okay, so for example, um, this is something that I always bring up as like a really cool example of um, a project that kind of took the idea of, I mean, and I don't mean to use this word in like a derogatory way, but like the the idea of colorblind casting kind of on a in a purposeful way, which was 1997s, I think, Cinderella mm -hmm. with uh, Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. God, I and love they, it's so great. But they literally just so, cast everybody. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Let's just explain for the people who haven't seen that version of Cinderella. Is it like, a play that was filmed, or did I just? No, it was. No, no, so it's, it was a musical. Movie. Yeah, yeah, so it was a musical that was written by Rogers and Hammerstein, and there was a version of it that was put onto film from the okay. stage, uh, starring Julie Andrews in the fifties, I think, and then um, it kind of went into the vault for however long. It's really not one of their more well-known musicals, which is kind of annoying because it's really, really good and the songs are amazing. And then in the 90s, Whitney Houston produced um, or was at least like in charge of getting this new adaptation to the screen where there is a multitude 
of uh, races and colors in the film uh, for all the different parts. And Brandy Norwood plays Cinderella. And for those of you who uh, don't know her, because she kind of disappeared after the 90s, she's a black woman. And Whitney Houston plays the fairy godmother. Whoopi Goldberg plays the queen. And then you have, um, I believe he's Filipino, but I can't remember his actual name. I think he's a Broadway art uh, star, plays the prince. um, And there's a black woman that plays one of the ugly sisters. And there's just um, a really, really broad range. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, like Whoopi Goldberg is the Filipino princess's mother. Which is what I was going to say, yeah. And, and then a white dude whose name I never remember, but he's like the evil Victor guy from Garba. Love Actually. Right, he's yeah. the evil guy from Love Actually. I remember seeing that when I was a, a baby. Yeah. And and he's he's a white dude, and like he and his black wife have a Filipino kid. kid. Yeah. Presumably <laughs> the, biologically, but they yeah, don't address and, it. And, that's and then Bernadette Peters, and then Bernadette Peters, who is a white ginger woman, uh, has a white ginger girl uh, for one of the stepsisters and then a black woman for the, her other daughter. And so it's just really kind of, yeah, it just kind of balls to the wall. Like we're just going to cast everybody and everybody and it's awesome and it's so great. Merlin doesn't do that. Like Gwen's brother is black. Gwen's father is black. Like they don't do that. So they are aware of it in that like the most basic sense if that makes sense but i just wanted to bring up cinderella because that really is an example of just kind of w- yeah. we're doing it because we can and why not which is great similar to that down i was like um and i'm not gonna flip to it because it's not that deep of a thing um but they clearly acknowledge that race exists but mm-hmm. they treat it kind of as like I don't want to say throw away physical trait because that makes it sound bad, um, but like a not important physical trait. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say, and this is something that I didn't realize until I like started thinking about the not very many black characters we even have. Like I'm talking black characters who actually have lines and like a, a, an actual role in the show. Like occasionally you will see like a black person like at court yeah. or a knight who is black. I can think of four, but I can only remember three names. So. Um, so, like, we have, there are five black men, when I don't count Sir Ewan in, from episode two, season one, because he barely has any lines and he dies. But damn, like, if he, he didn't only, make an impact on my heart. He, he, he <laughs> only, I mean, he was very cute, but, like, he existed only so he could die. Um, and then there was another knight in season four who had two lines and not even a name. So I didn't count him, but, like, we have five black men, Tom, Elian. My War, That's Pelias, what I remember. and Aglaine. Aglaine is a druid. Pelinor? Tom is... Pe- Pelinor? Oh, right. Pelinor is that... He had, like, one line. Isn't that... Is he, is he the one from... Oh, no, he's from... Also Excalibur. from... Excalibur. Excalibur. Yeah, he, okay. he okay. dies. Not, not counting him either, because... <laughs> barely any like one line <laughs> oh wait spoilers for one later line. seasons uh cut this out if you want to do any of the black men survive no none of them oh no. i was about to say all of them die except maybe that night in season four but because he like he has two lines and then he but the, he, the he, dragon thing where all the knights die is the end of season three correct yeah okay so like, he survived so that We're all, good. all all of them all of them die and like Two out of of these five black men um, are criminals, Myra and Helios. Oh, and, and Elian is a criminal. Lem, Lem, yeah, it was kind of, and two more like Elian and Tom were either through implication or coercion complicit in crimes within the Merlin universe. Like Tom was coerced into using, like being like involved in a crime with magic, 
And Elian is heavily implied that he gets into a lot of trouble, i.e. crimes. Aglaine. Right? Is that his name, Aglaine? Am I stupid? Ag- the, yeah, the, the druid, yeah, Aglaine. Technically also committed a crime. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, within the universe. I, I mean, don't think that's bad, I feel though, because... Like- I, yeah. I feel like the show isn't portraying him so much as a criminal yeah. as like, for example, Tom, I feel like Tom is, uh, it's shown like, a like positive he's criminal. not, right. He's not actually committing a crime on purpose, but once he gets roped into it, he doesn't do anything to stop the crime. Yeah. Right. He, he just, you know, quote unquote, just participates in it. Like he just goes along with it. And so it's uh, it's a different kind of picture. Like it's still like we as audience still don't feel like his death was in any way justified. Um, But it's still portrayed in a way that, you know, he tried to uh, step out of line or like step out of the box that the society put him into because he was trying to make money because he wanted a better life for himself and his daughter, mostly his daughter. Right, he wanted Gwen to have more beautiful things, and that's why he ended up complicit in a crime. Like even before he realized that there was going to be magic involved, it was already kind of dodgy. Otherwise, he would have told Gwen about it. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's there's this implication that Tom was willing to commit crimes, which then I would also look commit at- crimes for Gwen. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we all would, but <laughs> and then. The only black woman on the show is Gwen. She's the only black woman, unless I'm... Who speaks or has a name. I'm 99% sure you're right. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I mean, she does play the role of Queen Guinevere, but it takes her four seasons to get to that status. And in the meantime, she gets, like, banished from Camelot for a crime she didn't willingly commit and never realizes that she was like under a spell to like crime you know kissing lancelot the crime the Um, biggest crime that any person (laughs) has committed on the show (laughs) like she she no one like she still doesn't know that she didn't do this voluntarily that she was coerced by magic into doing that and she gets banished for it and like it takes that's gonna annoy me forever that not only does everyone think that she just uh well, Lancelot is the forbidden snack, but not thank you. Only, no problem. Not only that she just kissed Lancelot for funsies, but after they found out that he was dead, essentially a wraith, uh, everyone just thinks she kissed a wraith for fun. Yeah, and she'll never get to say anything different, including herself. Including oh herself. Gosh. That's the worst part that Gwen herself thinks that she did this voluntarily because she doesn't find out, like, she doesn't realize she was under this. Merlin shows up 40 years later to be like, just to clear your conscience about some things. <laughs> like, while she's dying, he's like, Gwen, there's something I've been meaning to tell you. I forgot. <laughs> I slipped my but mind. I was really stressed. <laughs> to be fair, Merlin is stressed most of the time. <laughs> Not for those um, four years we didn't see. Yeah, but then, uh, but then, yeah, that's this is something that I've also read um, online and which I uh, thought about before is that you know they, on the one hand, it's great that a black woman was cast to play the role of Queen Guinevere. However, they cast her for a role of 
of a character who first gets demoted to servant and then has to wait four seasons before she gets to the status that the legends gave her pretty much. Yeah, I have notes on that. Yes, please share them. Oh my gosh. Okay. Flip, flip, flip. Uh, (laughs) So these are not all my Gwen notes. These are just the notes about the thing you just mentioned. Um, Okay. So in pretty much every single legend that is recorded, um, first off, Gwen's white. Well, I assume we can assume most of the time she's white because she's usually portrayed that way, but it doesn't matter. Um, because race doesn't exist in Merlin. Um, but, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to say Welsh words, which is not that bad, because I do know how to say them, but it's gonna take me a while. Um, she was originally almost always born royal. So, in one of the Welsh triads, which, here we go, um, Trioeth Innis Prydain, um, she's the daughter of a giant king, which, tall queen, I guess, um, (laughs) Giant woman. Giant woman. <laughs> cue, the, cue the song. Um, yeah, that's that's just immediately popped into my head. So I wrote on this that I think it's interesting that in this version, um, she not only happens to be black, but she is put into a position of servitude um, mm-hmm. for seemingly no reason. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. it was a consciously racial decision in any form. I think maybe they just wanted to have like a Nicholas Sparks type romance, you know, mm-hmm. like a prince and the servant. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's interesting that it played out that way. And it might have been a subconscious choice from a very white writer's team. I mean, um, the, the way that the character, I mean, this is just based off of what they've said in behind the scenes and interviews and stuff at the time that season one was made. So it, this could be a biased opinion from their point of view. I don't know, but I can only like, you know, from what the horse's mouth has told us. But as far as I'm aware, they basically wrote all of the characters in a way of, okay, let's take what you know and subvert it in a way where people aren't going to expect it. So they did it for every single character. So Merlin ends up being uh, young rather than old. Arthur ends up being um, a prince rather than either a king or in the most kind of culturally well-known version of the legend, the kind of peasant adopted boy out in the sticks, you know, who's being raised by... um, by nobles but who's treated like shit like he's actually a royal Mm. and people know who he is because that's not what happened he had to come back and pull the sword from the stone yada 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 so that was his subversion morgana is um uh good that's kind of how they subverted that in the (laughs) beginning good in some of the legends which um are my favorite yeah that's true that's true um but in terms of like originally she was good because she was like one of the of the magic queens yeah, on Avalon yeah. who like saved Arthur and made yeah, sure true. that he healed and, and yeah. But then Christianity showed up. And yeah, exactly. Magic exactly. queens are no longer kosher. Exactly. Um, and then Gwen um, was. Uh, made servant to see this progression to her becoming queen, but still, I think the way they described it was to kind of you know um, to have her be a character that was kind of regal in the way that she presented herself to the world, but. Uh, but in terms of her status was not obviously a queen yet but what's interesting I think really interesting is that the character of Gwen was written uh 
really early and I think maybe even the first episode or something had been written but they cast Angel really late into the process they couldn't find Gwen they couldn't find a Gwen for a really long time and she was the last person to be cast I not I don't know if like of all the cast but of the main four the the, uh, the other four had been cast already and then they found Angel like I think a week before they needed to start shooting or something like that I'd have to rewatch the behind the scenes to uh, re- remember the exact time scale but they basically said that as soon as she came in she had this gentleness about her where she felt like she could carry a room and be a queen without actually you know being a queen and they knew you're that gonna they make found me her. emotional about angel colby <laughs> but that's like, just kind of... a queen she can carry a room <laughs> yeah exactly uh but yeah that she kind of had this uh yeah this kind of I don't I th- I think this is the word they use but it was this kind of gentle quality that they weren't really expecting from the character even or or if they were they hadn't found anyone that could do it the way that they wanted and then when she did her audition they knew that they'd uh found the person that the, that they needed so um I you know I really can't speak to what they were thinking when they cast her or when they wrote the role but from the sounds of it based on what I I mean most people probably imagine when they're writing a character I don't think they wrote it with the idea of oh, we're going to cast a person of color in this role. I don't role. think so either. I it fully, just kind of happened like that, I think. I fully believe um, that... What am I... I have to collect my brain. I fully believe <laughs> that it was a 100% legitimate casting decision and that they cast Angel Colby because she's a phenomenal actor and really fit the part. Um, but I do think that if perhaps there had been a person of color, I'm not sure if there was, or multiple people of color, if possible, on the mm. writer's team, they might have pointed out something a little strange. <laughs> yeah. 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 And again, yeah. I, it's not that big of a deal. I don't think there's um, certainly bigger problems with the show. And um, again, it all ended up great because and, Angel... And the thing is... But, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, setting aside that they demoted uh, Guinevere to uh, maid or servant, 99% of the people who watch Merlin and who watched Merlin knew that Gwen Guinevere was going to be queen. I didn't. I was six. (laughs) (laughs) I was Fair enough. That's why I said 99%. You were part of the 1% of Merlin viewers who did not know. I was one of the 1% of Merlin viewers who was absolutely balls off the walls. (laughs) Insane. Like, so like but the majority of people who watch this show watch it because they have an interest or at least a passing knowledge of the Arthurian legends so they most likely already know that Guinevere is going to be uh author's queen so I guess it makes sense with the subversion thing because you need something to play with that people don't already know yeah when you're like if you're gonna make a five season long show so yeah I really like that casting. And they already, like, the the movie with Kira Knightley already did the thing where she was, like, a warrior queen. So they couldn't do that. Oh, God, Angel yeah. Colby is a warrior queen. I mean, she is, she kind of is a warrior queen. Like, you have a, you have a couple of scenes where she's, yeah, like... Yeah, there are a couple of scenes. Where she's definitely fighting. When with the like, little with fur overthrow? That's yeah. my happy place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I've always said my my favorite kind of headcanon for what could have happened to Gwen is I always wanted her to kind of be of a secret noble origin. 
Like, I always mm-hmm. wanted there to be something more to it than just we're going to fuck the system and we're just going to basically have a, um, a, someone who's not of noble birth come into the royal family because that always bothered me. And I was always like, I want, like, I don't really care about, like, the whole Arwen thing because like, it's going to happen anyway, but I would at least be less mad about it if, like, there was, like, something like, oh, they'd waited all this time to be together and then, like, at the last minute when they've given up all hope, it comes out that actually she was from, a, from like, a noble family all along and then they can be together that, that would have been, been so much more satisfying that would have been i agree with that that would have been a double subversion so then yeah. all the people who were shook the first time would be shook again okay. <laughs> six-year-old me would have died um exactly but <laughs> i do have to say um that race aside and casting aside um one thing that always annoyed me about the like generalized king arthur legends is that people tend to hold them up as like an everyman sort of thing where like oh this random kid became the king and it's great um but then he was actually secretly noble the whole time and you're like oh so we're still relying on bloodlines so i do say i think there are redeemable factors in the whole gwen not being of noble birth at all but i do agree that it would have been an interesting writing decision that would have had many a shooketh and it would have been cool. Rockstar Lee just wanted to make sense historically <laughs> speaking, and that's why she needs that background trick win. Really, it's more just fair. like I think it's more to do with um it's less to do with Gwen, to be quite honest with you, because like Gwen obviously like doesn't have anything to lose from this relationship. If anything, mm. she has a lot to gain, you know, if like you care about things like money, which most people do. <laughs> but like <laughs> Arthur has a lot to lose. He has the respect of his father to lose. He has the stability of his kingdom to lose. And he has possibly the safety of his uh, entire reign based on whether or not the people agree with his choice, which apparently they do when there's no uh, uh, uprisings, but okay. And I'm just kind of like, the only thing I was kind of irritated by was like, I feel like if if they had both mutually decided, do you know what, this isn't the right thing for us because we love each other, but this is not the best decision for the kingdom um, and we want to do the right thing, and then it had come out, then it would have been like... I felt like, I don't know, it would have felt earned for me, like they kind of deserved this because they did the right thing, if that makes sense. Speaking of that, um, you've talked about this before. Bradley James has talked about this before. We've all talked about it. Um, Mm. Arthur's flip floppy development. Oh yeah. I think it would have been way more satisfying, even if we stuck with the not of noble birth storyline for Gwen. Um, If the development had been consistent with Mm -hmm. Arthur's view on class, I think that would have really made it feel more earned. Maybe not as much as it could have been, but Mm. I would have appreciated seeing that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we got what we got and that's just how it is. And, you know, they don't really make a deal out of it. I think what's really interesting, you know, kind of that, yeah, Gwen's status in the story is way more of a big deal in terms of her class than it is her race. And this is something we've always talked about on the podcast is that it's not the fact that she's black. It's the fact that she's poor, like, or that she's not noble. (laughs) Like, that's what is kind of... Uh, holding her back in life as you will in in the show itself and that's what kind of where a lot of her disadvantages come from in terms of the prejudice that Uther sees against her because he's like well she can't be trusted he immediately would trust a noble person right like we see it because it happens with you know the white characters in the show Gwen, 
is instantly, you know, um, beaten and told that he's going to be put to death when he insults the knights. But the knights who are actually lying say something and Uther's like, well, clearly they're decent people. <laughs> so I'm going to believe them. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of not only is it the sorcery thing, which I'm sure we're going to touch upon as a metaphor shortly, but it's also class as well that's kind of where they chose i mean it was probably a more sensible decision for them to go down that route because i can't even imagine the 2008-ness of what could have possibly oh, happened God. if they'd gone, if they'd <laughs> gone down the route there's like comics. terribly racist and then oh, all of us which i i'm glad he's not because I know that uh, we're at least semi-pro Uther on the Merlison podcast, and I'm also semi-pro yes. Uther. Um, <laughs> but, gosh, can you imagine Arthur's, like, learning? He's like, oh, maybe black people are good. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it would have been very 2008 British w- way of doing it, and, yeah, it would have been very bizarre it's kind of like it would kind of be although this wasn't british made as far as i know but it would have kind of been similar to have you guys seen robin hood prince of thieves yeah you know how when azim uh delivers the baby through c-section and then friar tuck is like oh well clearly i'm the barbarian here because i didn't realize that i was not worldly enough or something like that <laughs> so, so like you know he's uh, because before he delivers the baby he's like don't listen to him he's a barbarian he'll kill her and he's like no this is the scientific way to do it. <laughs> like, if I don't deliver this baby, she will die. Meanwhile, the priest is like crossing himself and hoping that's going to do anything. And then, um, and then, yeah, like afterwards, when both mother and baby are surprisingly healthy and alive, you know, he walks up to him, he's like, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, like clearly I'm godly, but I'm also not worthy. And then, and then he's like, come, we can celebrate. And then Azim is like, no, I'm not permitted because he's a Muslim and he can't drink. He's like, okay, fine, you talk, I'll drink. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they handle Gosh, how, they, that's how would they even <laughs> handle that in the show like i don't even I know, know. Gordon does something and arthur just has this epiphany and he makes one of those speeches and of course by the next episode he's racist again but whatever yeah absolutely <laughs> you absolutely. know you know what would have been i'm just i'm just thinking about this you know what would have been really interesting to be a not white actor playing it even though all of them. i no. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, all of them, but also Gaius. Oh my gosh. I mean, I would not, I would not want to trade Richard for anyone, honestly, because just of the... Of oh the yeah, sheer... Richard, if you're listening, that's for you. <laughs> um. <laughs> just, just the sheer energy he brings to everything. Like, I might, I, I don't like Gaius, okay, but I... I appreciate the energy that Richard brings to the role. Yes. And um, I don't know if anyone could have like, I mean, obviously someone else would have brought a different, really cool energy to the role. But like, imagine if the most trusted advisor of Uther had been a black man, Mm -hmm. an old black man. It would be really interesting to just think about the episodes um, like, no, this is going to be Rox's favorite remedy to cure all ills. <laughs> <laughs> or The Witch Finder, or any of these episodes. Yeah. The Witch Finder is a great episode. <laughs> where, where Uther, like, goes against Gaius, but then at the end of The Witch Finder, he has to apologize to Gaius. And, like, even with uh, Cure All Ills, he, he has to apologize and, like, make amends. And it's just like, imagine if that role of Gaius had been played by a black man he a black man the advisor of the great merlin the parent figure of the great merlin and also the advisor and close friend of uther oh my gosh the 
the implications, the <laughs> metaphors that would just ooze out of the Witchfinder if it was about <gasps> yes! a black man Stunning. being committed of a systemic or being convicted of a systemic crime that he did not commit. Right, right. The flavor. If if this show ever gets a reboot, <laughs> if this show ever gets a reboot, I'm playing Gaius. Yes. <laughs> but what I was going to say actually is um, kind of in preparation for this episode, I was uh, having a thought um, and I was thinking about how, what, like, who would we cast in uh, a version of Merlin if, if not every single character in the show um, would have a person of color playing them, but at least the main cast, like the main six and then the knights, like, because I was thinking of Idris Elba as Uther. Oh. Ooh, yes, Daddy. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? We have a baby on the podcast, Alex. We have a what? A baby on the podcast. (laughs) Freshman. Not an actual baby. Yes, a human baby. (laughs) She said for herself. She's a baby human. No. Um, What was I going to say? The baby human swears all the time, okay? No, um, they do in family, guy. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to put you at ease because um, my mom is listening. Hi, mom. No. Um, oh, God. <laughs> but we have to keep Katie because I'm a lesbian. Uh, oh, okay. But everybody else, stay. everybody else can be Idris Elba. <laughs> everybody else. Can. I feel like Idris would be up to the challenge to play literally every other character except it's for like the Jim Carrey. Is it Jim Carrey in A Christmas Carol? i'm just trying to like think of um there's there's this uh, dude who's in plebs and i don't think any of you have actually seen it but it's kind of like modern day life of like these kind of rejects but they live in rome and there's this one guy uh, who's in it and i can't remember the name of the actor but he's called silex or stylex or something like that and he's this really tall skinny guy who kind of plays like the kind of goofball of the group that's kind of always getting into things but he's got that kind of wide-eyed brightness about him and um i just thought that would be such a good merlin like i don't know if he'd have the range to do like the really dramatic stuff but the comedic stuff he would be such a good merlin I want I want John Boyega as Gwen. Oh, that's that's Gwen. Mm-hmm. I almost said that's valid again. Is it? But <laughs> not Arthur. He's got like that leading man thing, he's, hasn't he? He's too old, he's too old for Arthur. Right. I feel like they're the same age, aren't they, Arthur and Gwen? <laughs> no, Gwen's older. Gwen's no, Gwen's definitely older than Arthur. Maybe right? not by okay. a lot, but a little I mean, bit. Owen Owen and Bradley might not. Have. <laughs> Gwen is older than Arthur for sure. <laughs> Or at least he's. I want to get. I want to get Keenan Lonsdale in there, but I don't know where. <laughs> Somewhere. <They're laughs> <playing. laughs> he's in every band. He could be anybody. Yeah. <laughs> he could be anybody. I genuinely forget though that Idris Elba is British. Like I almost didn't say. It. I was like, oh no, he's American. But no, he's he's not American. He is British. I forget it because he plays. So, um, he only plays American roles. Really, it's well, it's sort of. Listen, you know what would be perfect for Gaia's? Samuel L. Jackson, even though he's not British. Yeah, yeah, but he no, you can't you can't do that because he's no, he's too he's too cool. He's too cool. <laughs> Maybe then I would finally like Gaius. <laughs> no, no, it would have to be Eddie Murphy, but in his old man makeup from coming to America. <laughs> 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 Where he's like. <laughs> 
and not the Jewish guy he plays, but the actual black guys that he plays that are old in the movie. Oh my god! I was just for rebooting everybody. Keenan Lonsdale could be a good Gwen. He'd make it work. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking that if we. If we replace everyone with a black actor, and I mean, Angel or Gwen stays black, obviously, but Katie is the only one who's like white, then it it's even more of a plot twist that she's <laughs> Uther's half daughter. Oh my god, <laughs> what happened? Because she's Irish as well. That's like so far removed. <laughs> so brilliant. She's, oh, she's this Irish, Mary. very white half daughter. Just exactly. imagine that. Oh she has dark hair. I mean, <laughs> she's got the hair. The know. only thing I beg, and I know that Santiago isn't black, but he's Chilean, so he is a person of color. Please, can we keep him? Of course. <laughs> because I can't. Yeah, he, that's he's already been so removed from the we're show. Doing, I can't have him physically removed. Casting. Um, we're doing Cinderella <laughs> yeah. casting. Does not matter the race so long <laughs> as they're not Katie and they're not white. <laughs> <laughs> They're not Santiago. He can stay. Can, can we get Gemma Chan in there somewhere? Because I feel like I mean there are plenty of characters to go around. So that's, <laughs> that's good. true. That's true. Oh god. Okay. Um, yeah. So oh. we've kind of. I mean, it's kind of been to do with the show, but also kind of yeah. not really. Oh, wait, I, one yeah. more thing. Yes, yes, please. Sandra O oh is more goes. Yes. There we go. That's all. <laughs> yes. Okay. Two <laughs> important things. Should we maybe talk about the magic metaphor thing now? That's kind of re- related to the in canon, isn't it? Yee yee. Sure. I don't have notes on this, but I can surely go on. I mean, I, I didn't have notes on this as well because I felt like I didn't think of it that way. Nor did I, but I meant, but, but it was in the article that, uh, that we had on JSTOR. They mentioned it as kind of like the only prejudice that we really see. I mean, obviously, I mentioned class, but. Um, yeah. The kind of like the active uh, persecution rather than mm-hmm. just prejudice is yeah. of Druids. What I found really interesting, though, in uh, because in the article basically that we read in preparation for this, or myself and Alex did, was that they likened um, the persecution of Druids to um, the way that Muslims are persecuted in the UK. Well, I mean, I don't think they're actively like killed, like Uther kills Druids, or I. I I don't think that, that we, we are, know but, of. we know of, um, but it's the, but it's the same kind of thing of otherness. But what I found kind of interesting was to me, when I was thinking about this, I felt it kind of behaved more <laughs> like anti-Semitism than, uh, than Islamophobia, simply because you have this like kind of weird situation in Merlin where you have a group of people who are clearly born a certain way. So but you can also druid. learn it. You can, yeah. So you basically, they either have identifiable physical markers like tattoos or the clothing that they wear, or basically you can, in in Universe Merlin, you can look at someone and know that they're a druid. I don't know how, but you can, <laughs> because apparently they do. Like they see Freya and Gaia says she's a young druid girl, even though she looks like anybody else. Like there must it's be the something vibes. about her. It's the vibe, right? Maybe he feels it. But basically, that's kind of one way. But then, for example, Merlin is clearly not born of that ethnicity, if you will, and yet he is equally persecuted if he were ever to be found out because it's something that he has learned. Now, obviously, magic itself is kind of more akin to the way that 
I mean, we've kind of seen it more as a metaphor for homosexuality or kind of different sexualities. So to that's the metaphor I subscribe to most of the yeah, time. Yeah, and it annoys my family to no end. Yeah, but obviously, I feel like that <laughs> that is certainly true in the case of characters like Morgana and Merlin, who have been who have been born with you know this particular. I mean, I'm calling it a thing just because you know this a particular trait. Yeah, a trait. And um, they and they didn't choose it, and they are having to hide it and live their life a certain way, which definitely subscribes to like a repressed sexuality. But I feel like then the whole thing of the druids is another side to it. And when I think of the anti-Semitic thing, I think, well, you know, you have um, a community of people who you know are of an ethnicity. You know, you are Jewish ethnically, but then you can, of course, you know, it is a religion. <laughs> you can be persecuted for. You know, I could subscribe to judaism i could you know be jewish in terms of my faith and yet i wouldn't necessarily be jewish ethnically and so to me that kind of felt akin if we're talking about like racial persecution or that kind of thing it felt more akin to that than of islamophobia but i'm curious what you guys think about it talking about the anti-semitism thing um i do think it's a very hot take very interesting take and I do agree that it definitely fits more with anti-Semitism than Islamophobia. But an important point on that is that, A, Gaius is really close to the king. But in this sense, if you're looking at it through this lens, it's almost like he's a reformed Jew, quote unquote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which uh, is very dense. Like, yeah. And sad. Um, but yeah. also with the whole, and this is good food for thought, the whole, um, the stereotyping and prejudice against people with magic is pretty similar in vague, in a vague sense to the stereotyping against Jewish people, at least back in ye olden times, you know, with the, like, cunning and assuming they're lying. Yeah. And the lack of empathy or whatever, whatever, whatever. Obviously none of it's true. Um, but yeah. And speaking of villainizing magic people, there's a whole thing that I have to talk about with most of the people with magic actually being villains. Yes, and I'm so glad you brought that up because what I was thinking about this when I was reading the article is they also bring it up that the the problem with this, like, I mean, obviously we can draw comparisons to an extent, but the issue with drawing comparisons to magic persecution and racial persecution in the real world is that racial persecution isn't based on logic whereas in the merlin universe people have and do bad things with their magic just because they want to and the reason uther is going after them is because they did a bad thing to him not just you know he was very friendly with people who use magic and it reminded me of the criticisms that uh, surfaced after zootopia came out Mm -hmm. which I didn't even know about them until I found them on the best social justice website of all time, Tumblr. And I basically... And somebody had written... I'm trying to get all my opinions. Yeah, exactly, right? It's just so woke. If it's um, on but, Tumblr, it's true. Absolutely. But it That's did kind of... Tumblr stands for. <laughs> <laughs> you can finish. I'm so sorry. No, please. I'm, I absolutely love this. It's amazing. But it's interesting because I didn't... It, like, it kind of opened my eyes to something which I didn't think about. And I'm curious to see your perspective on this, Sophie, because what it was was they said Zootopia likes to think that it's casting a light on racism and racial issues. But the problem with Zootopia is that these people are reacting in a quote unquote racist way towards these predators because of an actual logical reason that these predators 
a can and do go savage, which is my dad and I talked about that when we watched it. Right. We were like, this is a really cute metaphor for kids. But the problem is, is that biologically these animals need to eat the other animals. Yeah, exactly. What you're talking about. And it's like this is that like this fear in the movie was based on actual facts and logic, which then, you know, that they were drugged and brought back to their primitive state, which then got reversed and everything was safe again because they didn't need to be that way. Like they kind of I guess if you apply that if you apply that like word for word to the racial metaphor, that's ugly. Yeah, um, exactly. But obviously, that's like not black true. With racism. acting white is better. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we know that obviously racism is not founded on logic of people of color are out to hurt you. We know that's not true. It's based mm-hmm. on literal bullshit that has no founding in reality. So it's not like you said, Sophie. It's not transferable. And and someone like me that watches Utopia and going, oh, this is really, really amazing, didn't even think about that until it kind of was brought to my attention. So it's kind of the same in Merlin that, no, actually people who use magic are doing bad things and then some aren't. But actually in the universe, more people are bad than good yeah. who have magic. Um, which I also goes the other way, users. too. <laughs> it also goes the other way, too. Which, like, I love Merlin to no end. Merlin, uh, the character. Uh, but he is a bootlicker. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that now. <laughs> so it goes both ways. So that Merlin, because he follows the rules of non-magic users, is the quote-unquote good magic user. Yeah. And the yeah. one that we can trust, per se. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's true. So that's wild. Yeah. But what else did you have to say about the whole kind of magic people doing bad things? Because obviously they do a lot of bad things. I mean, we pretty much covered it. I just thought it was weird that, like, clearly it's a metaphor for oppression of some kind. Whether or not the writers and producers and directors had a specific sort of oppression in mind, it's clearly a metaphor of some kind. And choosing to have the vast majority of magic users enact and live out these stereotypes, negative stereotypes, uh, was a weird choice to say the least. That's yeah. pretty much all I have to say on the topic. Um, yeah. I, the only thing I can imagine that led to this kind of decision-making is that they thought, well, we don't need to show the good magic users that much because we all assume that they exist. So we only show the bad examples so, yeah. uh, so that you you're supposed to think because that we have Merlin, you're supposed to assume. Yeah, because I mean, occasionally yeah. you do meet some of the good magic users as well, <laughs> or like, and then they die, um, or disappear. Like Alice, I mean, Alice was sort of coerced into doing bad things as well. So, like, poor poor white woman, poor <laughs> white woman being coerced by a a hideous magical creature into committing crimes. But there's like I think that's probably what they were thinking that you know they only show the bad ones because showing the good ones would be boring. But what happens is exactly what you described is that as a viewer you get the impression well the majority of magic users are evil. They are committing crimes. They are trying to hurt people. And so maybe Uther's right. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's a tricky one. <laughs> it's I'm I'm trying to turn this into a spider skier uh, George meme, but I can't really I can't really figure out what it what it would be like um <laughs> Wait, oh my god. Or no, all magic users being good is actually a statistical right. error. Merlin Emrys who <laughs> enacts 42,000 good acts every day it was a statistical outlier and should not have been counted. Exactly, that's the way it should go. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> good. Um, I have one more thing about um, race in Merlin, and I brought this up recently when we had our episode review of Sweet Dreams. And I don't know if you have if I, I don't know if you've listened to our review of that yet um, or not. But there's I have this... not mostly because I don't like that episode, but that's it. Listen, I don't like that episode either. I complain about it pretty much the entire time. But we found oh, that I mean, you should listen to it because we realized that basically it's a Midsummer Night's Dream for Merlin. It's like basically just you have to imagine that there is a moment at the end where Uther wakes up from a fever fever dream. And then the entire episode makes sense. If you imagine it as Uther's fever dream, like fever nightmare, actually, then it all makes sense. Everything Uther's afraid of happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that just just watch it as that and then it suddenly makes sense. Like that's that's the conclusion I came to while we did this episode review. Anyway, there is this moment when Arthur um, has shown Vivian to her room, Lady Vivian, not Princess Vivian, because that makes sense. <laughs> and um Gwen comes in, she just walks in, she hasn't said anything, she's not doing anything clumsy, she literally just walks in and curtsies and keeps her head bowed. And Arthur introduces uh, Gwen as Vivian's maid. And Vivian looks at her, takes one look at her up and down, and makes a disparaging comment about the quality of Camelot's servants. Gwen has said- racist. Rivia, like Gwen hasn't said anything. Gwen hasn't done anything that would discredit her as a good servant. All that has happened is that Arthur has gestured to Gwen, who has smiled and curtsied and bowed her head like a good servant should. And Arthur says, this is uh, Guinevere, one of Camelot's, Camelot's finest servants or whatever. And Vivian looks at her and says, well, if this is Camelot's finest, I fear for Camelot. I remember that. And my and my impression of that scene was that even though racism in theory doesn't exist in this universe, Vivian is clearly being racist because the only thing she can tell about Gwen from this short interaction is the color of her skin. Yeah, I think racism theoretically does not exist in the Merlin universe. But because they did acknowledge that race exists and they didn't do Cinderella casting, yeah, it takes on a new tone when that happens and like you said the only logical conclusion is that uh vivian may be how you say a racist bitch yeah and it's just it's one of those examples where it's just kind of thoughtless writing because it was their way of just a shortcut of being like oh vivian just like like dislikes people for literally no reason i mean a kind of 
thing that I always thought was quite funny was, well, she either sees her, the color of her skin or what she's wearing. And she thinks any servant that would wear that to do work is clearly an idiot. <laughs> or it was maybe just, <laughs> but that's how I choose to interpret it. actually a lesbian and she sees how beautiful this, Gwen is. And she's like, said. if you're putting this as a servant, like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, she's gone, she's gone into Tsundere mode. That's yeah. what happened. She is, basically. I did not realize. Second strike for Sundere. <laughs> she's yeah but she doesn't have dark hair so she can't be one it doesn't it doesn't work that way alex you can't have a blonde sundere it doesn't work it just becomes strange and unusual <laughs> oh my god you know speaking it's true <laughs> oh yeah speaking of dark hair um that leads me into my pedic pet pedic oh my gosh petty pedic petty celtic history section of the pod Please, nice. yes. Okay, so just starting in general, accents in Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, Max, please give me your thoughts. No, um, no. <laughs> please, no, seriously. I mean, accents are pretty much just kind of whatever the actor is capable of, isn't it? That's See, basic. No. See, that's what I thought too, okay? here we go yes okay and this could totally be bullshit it's just something that i think is interesting okay i'm not mad about it really it's not a big part of my life i just find it interesting i'm not mad about it but i think about it every day (laughs) it's exactly (laughs) i'm not mad about it but i'm certainly perplexed colin was made to affect a sort of untraceable mostly english accent Mm mm-hmm Katie didn't change her accent at all. Pretty much. Because she because she couldn't. Yeah. Okay. That's that's <laughs> why that. that's why Colin had to change his because they couldn't have two Irish people. Yeah. Oh, of course not. So and, and he was the only one out of the two, he was the one who could change his accent. He auditioned with a Southern Irish and they were like, That's great, but can you try an English one? <laughs> but why? That's the question. Why can't you have two Irish people? Uh, because I think this is Britain. no that's what that's basically what i'm trying to get to is that they were like oh well we can't have two irish people so i guess the protagonist is english now and there's also heavy anglicization of welsh names and pretty much the erasure of welsh culture altogether yeah so basically like regular british yeah basically regular british nationalism yeah 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 Mm -hmm. okay um, that's pretty much it. Oh, and there's also more Celtic features ascribed to magic users, which I thought was interesting because they don't really acknowledge Celtic history at all. They kind of make it mostly English. Um, and again, I'm big American, so everything I say could be utter horseshit. But pretty much with the exception of Morgos, the look for a magic user is like light skin, light eyes, dark hair. Mm-hmm. And then the main i guess i don't really know how to explain this arthur gives off a sort of like white savior angel boy vibe yeah i mean yeah that's definitely 100 percent what they were going for with him yeah that's I why just, they cast bradley i just find it interesting yeah i just think it's a fun thing to think about i'm not <laughs> mad about it it just <laughs> tickles my fancy it's interesting as long as that's all it tickles honestly <laughs> 
No, it tickles my fancy. It tickles uh, my nationalism sensors. Yeah, <laughs> all sorts of things. It's interesting though with the Celtic thing because I um I don't I don't know much about this, but I feel like I don't know how linked kind of Celtic religion and paganism are, but I kind of always got this kind of vibe that they were going for like a pagan kind of culture with the Druid thing, and even though obviously it's not, this is the problem like. We've we've talked about this before, and I get why they did it. I do. I know that they wanted it to kind of exist in like the Princess Bride universe. Like I do get that, and I appreciate it, and it works. Like it does work, but like it's so like Christianity coded, like yes, but it's not explicitly. Luther switches between referring to how many gods there are, which is a little weird. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's very like frustrating because. It's kind of like you might as well just come out and say it. Or well, look, maybe it's because look, where... just admit you love Jesus Christ. <laughs> just admit it. I mean, what's really interesting is that like the people that are watching the show in the UK, anyway, you know, they're very familiar, or at least even in the West, we're very familiar with what Christianity looks like, even if we don't know anything about it, because Christianity is basically the history of like you know white Western civilization. So it's kind of interesting that we it's coded in such a way that it's not until someone goes, hey why didn't you just use the word Christian? That, yeah, I guess that that's what I'm trying to say. It. Yeah. Is that I don't, I don't think it was 100% intentional choice. Um, but I do agree that it's heavily coded with like the religion and the history. Um, and again, Tumblr, ooh, the best source. Um, <laughs> I saw a thing on Tumblr, which is how all the best sentences start too. Um, <laughs> where someone was talking about the funerals that Merlin gives people. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, the pyres, are built in Camelot for knights, all sorts of people. They get pyres, which is a very, not necessarily 100% Christian way of doing it, but when you compare it to the way Merlin sends people off on boats, that's a very, very pagan way of doing it. But like, yeah. Elia, that. but then why is Elian, Elian also goes in a boat, doesn't he? No, he's buried, isn't he? No. Elian, no, no. I'm pretty yes, sure buried. I'm pretty sure um, Elian is in a boat. Yeah, yeah, I think. But is right, Uther? De- but Uther's dead at that point, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so Elian goes off in a boat. Freya goes off in a boat. Will is pired. Lancelot is. But he's pired. pired with Arthur there. Yeah, and then Lancelot is pired with everybody there. Well, no, not sorry, not him, but his things are, and he would have, I assume, been pired. Like I assume that Lancelot like, is pired with everyone there. But later, when Lancelot dies, yeah. quote unquote, the second it's, time, yeah, he's put off in a boat with only Merlin. Right. That's correct. Um, and obviously Arthur goes off on a boat. And then I'm trying to think, like, but Tom is buried. And isn't Gorlois buried? Or is it just like a memorial, his grave? Because they I mentioned think his grave's a grave. memorial. And I think Tom was buried because he was a criminal, which is why I think he has that little pile of rocks. Right. Okay. And Gorlois has like a statue. Well, because they mention like, they, they, they mention the word grave. Like, I don't feel like you use the word grave if it's just a memorial. Or maybe they just didn't. And then they just maybe they don't have word. his body or maybe uh, yeah. it's an inconsistency. Yeah, that's Who what knows? I was thinking. Wait, you were expecting the modern writers to have like consistency and are now surprised that they didn't? Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> it's a disappointment that I grow more used to every day. Life is a disappointment I grow more used to every day, so I feel you. I think we talked about everything that we were going to talk about. 
um, in regards to Merlin canon and race, racism, and any kind of like issues that go with that. Which means that we get now to the questionably fun part of talking about racism in the Merlin fandom. Even spicier. Right? Ooh. Okay. That right was filled with fear. <laughs> it really was, Alex. Like, I, I don't want to break it to you either, but you sounded right? like... <laughs> I mean, I, I am fearful. I am always fearful of everything where I, where I might realize that I am a worse human being than I previously assumed I was. You're very Number scared one, of revealing yourself valid. as a giant racist, basically. <laughs> Number one, you're valid. Number two, everything you say is fine because I'm here. <laughs> as we've established. Oh my god, we've oh. just reached the pinnacle. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I have a bunch of like notes that have no real like thread to them you guys start with this one because i was looking for stuff about racism in the fandom and pretty much the only stuff i could come up with was like anecdotal evidence like there weren't many articles on it because there's no articles on like fandom stuff anyway yeah um so it's basically all just personal experience so if you guys have something more scholarly more <laughs> podcast like I mean, Go ahead. <laughs> something something that I definitely have commented on before is that the, you can definitely notice this trend, which is also prevalent in other fandoms like Star Wars, for example, uh, where even if you have black characters that have more lines, more chemistry with other characters or white, especially white characters on a show people will still not ship them. They people will... are always going to find a way to ship white boys. <clears throat> exactly. So, like, if you look at the canon, Elian has more screen time with uh, Percival or I think even Gwen individually or, like, any like any of the knights. Elian has, like, actual episodes about him or, like, that feature yeah. him in, in a prominent role. Where he's, I mean... Gwen sort of does in the beginning with, like, in season three when he's first mm. introduced, obviously. And Percival doesn't get anything. Per- Percival doesn't get shit. <laughs> Poor Percival Poor. deserved better. Percival, I mean, clearly he did. But, like, Elian has more uh, chemistry with, like, Percival or Gwen or any of the knights individually than, for example, Percival and Gwen have with each other. Apart from, like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know... Diamond of the Day Part 2 is probably the thing that made everyone ship her Wayne. But, like, before that, you don't really have them together that often. You have way more interaction between Elian and one of these two. But, of course, fandom latched onto the per Wayne and ships them. And, I mean, there's they're, they're not a big pairing, but they're certainly bigger than any pairing that Elian is involved in. They're, like, in. one of those token side pairings. yeah. Like in Fix, where like if it's not the main pairing, you can like fifty percent of the time they'll be there. Yeah, and I mean I've done that. I know I've done yeah. that with them. But there's a a blog that's pretty much their entire purpose is to talk about Gwen, Percival, and Elian being poly. Aww. But it, it sounds like it's my blog, but I swear it's not. <laughs> I can't the name of it. It's not. <laughs> I wish- 
wish it was. I wish that I was the pioneer of Polly Elian, but yeah. I'm not. And like, there's a question of whether it's better that Elian doesn't get any of this like uh, token background pairing stuff that some of that that like other characters get settled with. But on the other hand, there's like. We know much more about Elian through Gwen than we know about Percival, for example. So why is, like, is it just that people are projecting more onto Percival because we don't know anything about him? People are projecting onto Percival because... Because he big. A, they don't know anything, and B, he's just the sweetest man. He, and he yeah. big. And he big. I think <laughs> he big. A lot of <laughs> room for projection. But, like, but, but just, like, speaking from my own experience with fandom, like, personal experience but also what i see is like you know well liked in fandom and fandom loves a good angsty boy and and (laughs) fandom will latch onto the boy who has like a lot of tragic backstory so fandom latching onto gwayne i i understand because a hair and b tragic backstory (laughs) right c accent um c accent and d uh pining he's just pining for merlin the poor guy he right. really is, and um, then and then, but, but Percival has a tragic backstory. But the problem is, they never address it. It's like, isn't Percival? Isn't the fact that like Percival's backstory gets explained in like half a sentence in a deleted? Yeah, scene? it's like, oh, this is Percival. His entire family was murdered. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But with Elian, look, Elian got a Elian's whole... prime angsty boy. Please attach yourself to Elian. Exactly. Elian had a whole episode in which he was possessed by the ghost of a drowned du- druid child like that's peak angst dead what? children <laughs> dead he hugged a dead child i mean why is phantom not i mean also I- i'm in love with tommy what you did but yeah that's a whole other point <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with this also i was gonna say face um but yeah. <laughs> face <laughs> Like, to be honest with you guys, I think we talked about this in the Elian episode, if I remember correctly, but we were trying to figure out, you know, yeah, why is the uh, Percival Elian ship not, like, you know, more of a thing? Why is the Gwen Elian thing more of a ship? Yeah, but, like, you you know, because there is that moment in The Coming of Arthur Part 2 where Elian does have that kind of little moment where he's like, Gwen, he's still alive and stuff like that. But I honestly do think... That was a perfect impression. (laughs) Rox is very good at impressions. I love that line. I remember the exact cadence of it. <laughs> no, it was like perfect. Stop it. <laughs> anyway. Stop. Shut up. Anyway, my point is, is that I I genuinely do believe that if Elian had been given the kind of character ending of where he had, you know, died in Gwen's arms or vice versa or whatever, I genuinely think it would have been a thing. I think the only thing that propelled this ship forward so much was that by the time Percy and Gwen were being heavily shipped, a lot of the other knights were already dead. And yeah, two, true. because they shared their last moments, you know, with each other and it was very, very coded. So I it think was very queer. Very queer. It was a little big those ropes with the power of love. Of love, indeed. <laughs> and so I think that you know, had had Elian been there instead of, say, mm-hmm. Gwen or Percival, if he hadn't died in Gwen's arms, if he died in Percival's arms, you know, I, I, I genuinely think it would have been that 
kind of that propelled. And I'm not saying that there isn't a, a racially motivated reason, because as we know, you know, it is very much a pattern of black people just not being shipped in like big pairings. But I think like this is kind of also paired with just the context of which their stories ended, because I don't remember, but I don't think Pearl Wayne was as big before the finale. I think that's what kind of really caused I it. Doubt to go it. I mean, like yeah. I was a infant even more than I am now, but I wasn't really into the fandom at the time that this aired. Like, so I. I so we know. will take Rox's words yeah. as gospel truth. I yes. mean, you should, but. <laughs> Always. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, it's. But I think it's interesting. And, you know, this is kind of us parroting a lot of what we said from the, from the Alien and Percy episode. But it is true that Percival is more of a trope than Elian. Like, Elian does have a backstory, even though it's kind of like just one episode or so and like a few lines here and there. And then the episode with him and the druid, I like, okay, I personally don't really like to count it because he's not really himself. It's like saying that the Lancelot Dulac episode is Lancelot's episode when he's a wraith. It's not really him, is it? So I don't yeah. really know if that's fair. So in terms of actually knowing anything about Elian, we don't have anything oh yeah okay so not only was it the druid boy possessing him but then the only other time he had like real screen time was when he was being manipulated by the lamia so he's never really had a chance to be himself and percival even though he doesn't have an arc or much like backstory apart from the very tragic one that we're introduced to at the beginning he is basically like we said the trope he is the good boy who is big and we he's love. just good as a boy and yeah. saves children i like that's one of the three kids and what oh <laughs> and he's just but he's also like we can we we love him because he's not taken seriously like even the people that make the show are like did you really have to put three kids on him to make him <laughs> run out of that because, building like i mean I he doesn't even that. have sleeves the man <laughs> it's because they can't stay on he's just too buff <laughs> He puts on a shirt, the sleeves fall off. <laughs> they fall off. They don't rip off. They fall off. <laughs> they just give up. Who has the time to make chainmail for that circumference arms? Like It's, it's too just, expensive. It's too expensive. That's why his the chainmail that he has has to have like buckles in the front because it's just they didn't have anything for like his his shoulder width. Speaking of Elian and projecting and Percival and goodest boy. Um Yes. I have some notes on Elian. Yes. yes. Which, with the whole criminal thing that we've pretty much already covered. But I was going to say, like, a little pat on the back for the writer's team, which I keep coming back to, um, because he is actually very, very complex. And I think that's part of the reason why Percival gets projected onto so much. Like we said, his backstory wasn't addressed. Um, and he doesn't really have flaws. <laughs> no. Right. Um, they didn't, they just decided not to give him any, um, they, they so, just didn't, dis- they just decided to not give him any personality whatsoever. Yeah, his, his personality literally is goodest boy, yeah. whereas Elian is very complex. He's a good character for, I would say generally, yeah. um, and he does have flaws and I think that's pretty interesting. Um, so also, uh, you have flaws, everyone listening, project yourself onto Elian. Yes. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you want to date Gwen? Make Elian date Gwen. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. They can they can share their angst and like just wallow in it. 
He's got a lot of angst. Yeah, he's got a lot of angst, and so does Gwen. Percival just, should have angst, but they just conveniently like, forgot it. It's like Gwen. Gwen has all the daddy issues, and Elian clearly has some kind of mommy issues because presumably he disappeared after their mother died. Left. We don't know what happened to their mother. Um. So yeah, they can just share in their parent issues. Great. <laughs> Also, they are both probably like they both both have sort of an implied criminal past because you you can't tell me that Gwen hasn't committed crimes to amuse himself or get Gwen gets to go to AA. Yeah, yeah, he needs to. Elian gets to go to therapy. Yeah, and they'll keep each other accountable. Yeah, and Percival drives. Yeah, it works out. Totally works out. Like, yeah. Just make it happen. Overall, I do deeply love the character of Elia, not only because face, um, <laughs> but for so many reasons. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, my heart is soft for one man. Actually, many men. Oh. But primary, <laughs> Elia. I'm a, I am a, a one man at a time kind of person, I like to think, uh, in fandom. I'm very, um, I'm very loyal uh-huh. To, uh, to, um, <laughs> listen. <laughs> Didn't you mean Mur listen? Okay, okay, listen. Okay. I'm a, a one man in the forefront kind of person, and then one in the f- have- five in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have endless love for like every female character on the show at all times. Yes. That's fair. Because legally I have to as a lesbian. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I, I, that sounds right. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about ships, which uh, segues us into another shipping thing, here which is here we go. Here we go. <laughs> because, there, because there is a thesis, which is oh. if you don't ship Arwen, are you a racist? Hmm. like okay let's just let's just underline this with if you ship arwen like sorry if you don't ship arwen but you have other gwen ships can you be a racist okay okay (laughs) um like i said lesbian i'm i legally have to be a more gwen bitch but yeah that aside (laughs) if you don't ship arwen are you racist Mm -hmm. um Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on your reasons. Yeah. Um, I think there's a good chance that you might not be racist, but you could have fetishing, fetishizing gay men disease. Yes. Which is rampant and <laughs> ugly. <laughs> um, or you could... Um, I don't not ship Arwen. It's valid. There you go. Okay. Um, I don't really. Yeah, I don't not ship it. Um, I'm. But I I'm, think I'm personally very indifferent towards Arwen as a yeah. ship. I think um, there's there's certain aspects of it that uh get get my inside organs very soft. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's other parts of it I just don't care about. <laughs> um, which is most of their screen time. Most of the Arwen stuff that I do appreciate comes from fans. Hmm. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Which which sounds about right, yeah. 
Because the show certainly doesn't, like, help matters in any way. Like, they don't... I mean, we've we've griped about this on Relisten before, how the show doesn't, like, develop their relationship correctly and, like, believably. So um, it's, I think it's hard to ship it, them. Most of it, when I watch the show, <laughs> is me, like, um, feeling kind of awkward. <laughs> <laughs> like, for the first maybe four seasons before they really get their shit together. Mm. Every time it's a scene of them two alone, I'm like, I'm ready to be like, I'm ready to think it's cute, but I'm also ready to be a little bit embarrassed. I think that is part of it. Like just, I find everything about the way, like that, like the kind of dialogue that they gave them and everything just a bit too cliche, even for me. Like, it's a, I don't know. I just think that I'm not a big fan of kind of back and forth without, like, any realism to it. Like, you know you can't be together, so you're either together or you're not. Like, I just don't like this kind of, like, when people are kept apart for a good reason, like, when there's either, like, a really good emotional reason that they can't be together or, like, a political one or, like, exterior forces keeping them apart, that's great. But then, like, I just want it to kind of, be consistent i want them to either i agree yeah like just be like want to be together but you can't and then you just have to kind of like stay apart and it drives you crazy and it hurts or be together in secret yeah it's just either stay apart and like pine yeah exactly that's good content or uh, arthur already breaks the rules all the time just fucking a broom closet yeah and i just don't commit yeah and i like and i don't like this kind of wishy-washy stuff like particularly that they did in season three which was kind of like arthur gets close to marriage a couple of times and like they've kind of known they love each other for a while but then like when marriage comes around the corner they extra remember that they're meant to be in love and so then it becomes like this whole thing of where oh yeah but now we really can't be together together like as though we were but it's just really weird it's a weird weird way to do forbidden love because the thing is i'm like majorly ready to fuck with forbidden love like i Mm -hmm. really really love this trope so much it's like one of the reasons why murtha is like my favorite thing ever because even though it's just fanon like it's It's still like forbidden love it's so like many layers of forbidden forbidden multiple times over forbidden in every universe exactly and i'm also a huge fan of the class difference romance although i do prefer class difference romance where the woman is the person in the position of power like economically speaking for obvious reasons uh, i just find it's a little bit less icky for me um yeah but like i'm yeah so i'm a huge i'm a huge fan of class difference romance less so when the woman is in a position of servitude but you know that's just kind of how it happens sometimes but um yeah oh so- god at least she was an arthur servant yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> how about no no thank uh, you <laughs> yeah um like yeah it's just kind of it's it's everything I should have loved, which is why I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not trying to make it personal. I just, it's just not, I just don't like the way that they did it. But the thing is, is like, I've kind of mellowed out a lot. Like when I was watching the show, it was way more kind of rampant, like my dislike of it, I think, because it was like constant, like every week, something new. But like, once you've seen the same scenes, like a hundred times, you kind of get desensitized to them. Like even the stuff yeah, it's, you like. It's like the same scene every time, which is, yeah. uh, valid for arthur because that's his life um it's the same scene but every time the lighting gets a little more peach toned yeah basically (laughs) um Um, like i i think you know 
And I think that this question of, you know, are you racist if you don't like Owen? Like you said, right? It's surely like it's it's more contextual than that. Like, you know, I can only speak from my own experience that, you know, I I ship Gwen with many people on the show. I my first OTP in Merlin was Merlin and Gwen. Um I an OTP like mad for obviously Lancelot and Gwen and I kind of fuck with more Gwen depending on the day but not really but I don't have any problem with more Gwen whatsoever like I think it's a really cute idea and I like them in thick um and I think I even quite thought it was like a cute idea of like the nice pure one and the ruffian kind of one with uh Gwen and Gwen when like he was around for like five minutes when he Gwen's just her. highly shippable yeah just not with Arthur in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> basically like, the writers Arthur. get their hands on it yeah. yeah um so and that's just kind of where I stand with it so I feel like you know I just I don't think that it's like you know it, if you have an issue with Gwen in general and you don't like her with anyone and you're constantly having these negative feelings towards her like I think that's d- a different yeah. story than just like I don't fuck with yeah. this shit because it just doesn't make it doesn't do anything to my heart it just makes it sad it's like yeah. there's <laughs> I think there, there's definitely or like, I feel like there probably used to be a trend in fandom or at least it's something I've noticed when I was reading like older fan like older Merthyr fix is that there was a definitely a part of fandom that uh, partook in Gwen bashing quite oh, a God. lot to justify why Arthur wouldn't be with her. Like, especially when it was a, a case of like Arthur already being married to her or already being in a relationship with her. And then Gwen would be portrayed as this horrible human being, which she clearly isn't. I have thoughts on that. And um, um yeah. Share your thoughts, please. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so first off thoughts on the Gwen bashing thing. Um, that's why I said, there's two main icky reasons why you could not like Gwen, mm-hmm. um, which is A, racism, B, uh, fetishizing disease. Um, and I, they're like, and this is where my anecdotal experience comes in because I couldn't find like actual sources, basically. Mm-hmm. Those things on Tumblr where it's like art or just a gift set of Angel Colby or whatever and then you open it and it's like a bunch of positive notes and then there's like that one like blank blog on the bottom that's just like oh well she's ugly. <laughs> oh. Oh man, have you, I, have you guys seen those? No, but what I have oh my uh, gosh. read but I have read in one of the articles um that we uh, that I read beforehand is that that when the show started airing in the US gee, uh, that there were some publications like movie or like tv critic things whatever uh that described her as unattractive and unattractive and ugly in a very racist way yeah um there are like blogs on tumblr and i don't think they're as active anymore but they're still there pretty much dedicated to like reblogging pictures and they're usually merther centric too Mm -hmm. um but just like it's like positive Merther content, usually sexualized, and then just bashing on Angel Colby. Yeah, and I'm like, this blog has such strong bad vibes. Yeah, but my general thoughts on the issue: if you don't like Arwen, are you racist? Are possibly, probably not, but possibly. Yeah, and if you don't like Gwen, examine your motivations. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Think about it because maybe you're a little racist that's not a bad thing if you can fix it 
there you yeah. go. And I think that's kind of part and part for just kind of real life in general, isn't it? Like, you know, if you have a gut kind of gut knee jerk reaction just to kind of figure out why that is. I mean, you know, you only have to look to the way that the British media treated Meghan Markle to see, you know, that that's pretty much yeah a kind of a i'm glad she's out there in her best life yeah absolutely yeah i mean i absolutely we snatched her back oh god she is she is she's is so special i love her so much but we snatched I, her back we got a free british royal it was yes. great yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um but i mean i think that you know because i see a lot of like people talking about the gwen thing um and i wouldn't be able to tell you if they're people of color or not because they are blogs and usernames and i don't know them but it's kind of like people saying well you know it's funny how some of you like Gwen in season one until she then um you know became queen and you had a uh, you had an issue with a black woman in, in a position of power and I'm just kind of like I mean I mostly had an issue with the time skip but okay exactly <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> literally a woman of color like, well steady on there Jack I really was you know it's like you kind of made a very quick leap to something that you could have yeah. thought about a bit more it's like you know I yeah I, I'm I, literally I, a woman of color and I still greatly prefer Jen Jen oh my god Gwen <laughs> in the earlier season. I love Gwen in season one particularly I just thought she was at her most genuine her most kind of clumsy kooky and I love her clumsy and kooky I love her a bit silly I love her just kind of being carefree and not and I think yeah the, the second that she got attached to this Arthur storyline everything became really serious and really like kind of she also fancy. makes some decisions in the later seasons that I just couldn't see earlier her making and yes like people develop and like yeah Merlin's that way too and I honestly love Merlin's development and how he gets like salty and shit um yeah but with Gwen when she got salty it just hit me the wrong way yeah, I didn't like the saltiness I'm not gonna lie I like her that she's a kind person and that that is that is who she is and she's supportive and she's incredibly um empathetic towards others and again like i get that as she kind of d develops into this more position of power she needs to kind of i guess stand her ground a bit more but like i for one was not a fan of the times when she and we've said it a million times you know kind of talked back to arthur and became this kind of mentor mother figure and kind of oh, felt, yeah felt like she needed yeah. to you know say because again i know that this it's show, not supposed to be her job exactly well, and I know that, but you know that's that explains so much about why author likes her because he never had a mom and now there's Gwen oh, being his mom so and many layers because, but because <laughs> she's too young to be his mom and he has like funny feelings and she's like a hot mom he's, he has like funny feelings in his penis as well when he looks at her so but it just it all works together because he has a mom he can fuck exactly it's just so like, edible it's incredible it's it's not a bad thing that she like sets him straight i guess <laughs> straight um, hey. uh, <laughs> um, but it does get weird yeah when she's like the primary reason for his improvement yeah there should have been multiple people making him a better person like it's not supposed to be her responsibility to make him into a better person that she can then fall in love with and that is like two that was like two things that play into that one is the it's the race thing. And the other thing is that, you know, it's not a woman's job to change a man so that he becomes worthy of her. The man should change by himself. Arthur just needs to go on a spirit quest, man. <laughs> yeah. 
But like also it was the, you know, just from a narrative perspective, it also made no sense because she'd already been doing the same thing that Merlin had been doing for an entire season and then continued to do. So he, like, she basically became Merlin 2.0, but She's the romantic Merlin, but version. <laughs> she was like, hey, hey. <laughs> she, no, it's okay. In terms of like the whole thing with, um, Gwen teaching him things I think yeah that was kind of for me stupid because it was just like a rehash of what had already been happening but the bit that I kind of found really frustrating is that rather than kind of show us what happened after she became queen what they were doing instead was in the lead up to it they started giving her these really in my opinion awkward scenes to show us what a quote-unquote great leader she will be like I cannot tell you how embarrassed how much secondhand embarrassment I get in the scene when she goes and speaks out in front of the council, like about the Daroka. And I'm just like, you did. Is that the one with, is Agravain there? Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, oh, you oh, didn't, <laughs> you didn't need, like, this is so stupid. Like, I know that this is like fake reality, but like, are you really telling me that this room of middle-aged men would allow this servant girl to talk to them like this? And no, I don't care if it's Princess Bride. I don't care if it's Merlin. It's, it, it, it just looks and sounds ridiculous. Like it would have been so much more interesting to show her knowing nothing and then having to learn on the job, which is actually what would have happened. That or her knowing what she could have done but not being taken seriously and having to learn how to make herself be taken yeah, seriously. Yeah, all that. That would have been also really Instead cool. Instead just having the sheer power of being a badass overtake uh, systemic oppression. Imagine yeah. imagine her in that episode going to Gaius and telling him what he should tell the council and then like underlining it with like, but, but like I imagine Gaius would then say, "Well, why aren't you telling them yourself?" He's like, "Well, I'm." But a, he would know. I, I'm. They're a, not going to listen to her. I mean, yeah, uh, he would know, but like the audience needs it explained, so yeah, he yeah. would ask because that's what Gaius does. He's there for the exposition, <laughs> and so he, of course, so Gaius explaining. <laughs> so, so Gaius would look to the camera and be like, "Well, Gwen, why don't you go and tell them yourself?" <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Gwen would look at the camera and she'd be like. Actually, years of oppression have led to my gender and class not being listened to. Exactly. And guys would be like, that's very interesting, Gwen. Please tell me more. Exactly. That's how this scene would have to go. And then Gaius could go and talk to the council and um, accomplish the thing. Oh, angsty shot of Gwen in the background. <laughs> yes. And then, like, satisfied smile when they agree. Exactly. Guys and like honest- shoots her a thumbs up. <laughs> and it's honestly like less to do like with her being a woman because we have an example of Morgana being, you know, a very outspoken woman in her own kind of situation against the king. And yes, we know that she, you know, at the time that she was being outspoken, she had a connection because she was, you know, kind of adopted into the royal family. Yeah, and and also, she lived there. also, she turned evil. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so because, you know, like, the You're here like, first, folks. Outspoken women, evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Witch! Let's yeah. burn her! <laughs> Sorcery. But, you know, we have seen examples of, you know, like, it's not like we don't have strong women in the show, like, you know, and yeah, it doesn't always go well for them, but I'm saying, like, it's not like someone saying, no, don't don't talk to me because you're a woman. Like, you know, all of the, pa- like, most of the powerful priestesses and, like, sorceresses, like, are women. We have Morgos and Nimue and Morgana is outspoken. And so it's not like, you know... A- again there's not much happening in terms of like you know oh 
class it, sorry um, gender in terms of oh don't speak back to me because you're a woman it's like so morgana gets away with it because she's in a position where she's uh of nobility and she's also uther's ward so it's like i don't even care that you know gwen talks back to the council because she's a woman like that doesn't really seem to be an issue here i'm talking about like when you establish in universe that class is of great importance to these characters in this universe not in the real world then you kind of have to follow through on that and just having a bunch of dudes looking around going oh well this is a very interesting development it's like well what 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 well i've never seen this before yeah i just I'm like, what is going on i'm just like and i just remember watching it on tv because i was watching it as it came out obviously i was like what am i what just that is that a poor person? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> opening its mouth. Exactly. How it dare you? It speaks our language. I did not know they could do that. Oh my God. And then, like, you know, that's kind of and why the whole kind of Arthur and Gwen thing felt so weird to me in season four. I think we covered it in the Arwen episode where it was like, Gwen, literally, like, her status hasn't changed in the slightest. She is still a servant. Okay, fair enough. Her mistress is technically missing like she's not yeah, what is she doing god well, like, she's looking after uther isn't she but then he dies and oh, so right, what is right, she right, doing okay. there <laughs> i mean i assume general servant duties but they never told us well this is the thing she is morgana's personal servant and when morgana goes missing she's uther's personal servant and then when uther dies she's uh never mind <laughs> arwen <laughs> she's nothing and uh then she's the queen so it's fine yeah she's queen and i mean maybe that's when she had time to have all these queen lessons we just never see them <laughs> God. And so, yeah, it's she's kind of been like a... wedding planning. Maybe she's been planning the wedding. She's like been a writing wedding. Mythian. <laughs> Getting little lessons. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I know you said writing, but because of your accent, it sounded like writing. So I'm just like, she has. definitely. <laughs> Stand by that. Okay. Yeah. But I just think that it's kind of, it's just clumsy. It, like, the reasons why I get irritated by Gwen is mostly because like everything they get her to do goes against the in-universe rules that they've already established for what characters are supposed to think of one another. And I know I... we said it a million times, but when do they not? Mm-hmm, basically. And so I just, I like the version of her that we have in season one so much. And it's based like from like all of my favorite fics that have Gwen in them have that kind of, Gwen, the one that's kind of, you know, and I don't, look, I don't like doing this thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, I like the innocent characters, but I do consider Gwen a slightly more innocent character just because of like, her outlook on the world is very optimistic. And I do tend to kind of com like, combine optimism with innocence, like, because I think they can work hand in hand, you know, I think that it's not a bad thing, necessarily. Like, I don't think that I think that sometimes we use the word innocence in fandom anyway. I find it's kind of been tarnished a bit. Like people like, oh. Like innocent uwu. It kind of, yeah. They're like, oh, you know, like I see it in anime fandom all the time. Like, oh, stop calling this character an innocent baby. And I'm like, yeah, but what's wrong with being an innocent baby? It doesn't mean that they don't have a brain. It doesn't mean they're not capable of intelligent thought or agency. Yeah, it just means that, that's, you know. It's, it's a thing where people conflate innocence with naivety. Yeah. And it's not the I same. Like the idea that Gwen could have retained her innocence and optimism on purpose yeah like even gaining like power and status and like the rotten underbelly of the kingdom being revealed yeah yeah instead exactly. of 
like making some asshole decisions. I mean, look at yeah. look at season one, Gwen, who when presented with the question whether or not she would like to have Uther killed because he had her father killed, she responds no. Because it's not going to bring her father back and it would make her as bad as the man who had him killed. That's that's the Gwen we believe would make a great queen. Exactly. Because she looks at things objectively and, and like thinks about things and is not cruel for no reason. I hate... Like, even when she has a... Like, even when she... I, I think... I don't remember in which episode I talked about this, but, like... When out of everyone on this show, apart maybe from Uther and Arthur who gets attacked by magical people all the time, Gwen has the most reason to hate magic because she gets accused of it all the damn time. Every she, weekend. Every, every damn episode, she gets accused of magic. Her father was killed because he got roped into a, a magic crime. She gets accused of magic at least, what, two times? Three times? I lost count. Um <laughs> Uh, it's just, she gets accused of magic so many times. And, like, even in season five, like, I mean, okay, she doesn't know that she was bewitched to, um, kiss Lancelot. But that would make another reason for her to hate magic. Um, and then in season five, she gets manipulated by Morgana with the help of magic and some brainwashing techniques. And, like, you know, psychological warfare. Um, that's lesbian, that's lesbianism gone wrong. Yeah, very wrong. That's what that is right there. <laughs> but, like, Gwen is the one who has the most reason to hate magic, and yet she doesn't. Um, because she's a reasonable person. I was like... Direct not- opposition to that scene where she's, like, the best... Like, not the best one scene. Well, um, but that scene that we all love where she ha- thinks it's insane to, like, want to kill Uther. Mm-hmm. Um, direct opposition to that. Is her name Kara? Yeah. Mordred's pointless girlfriend? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't she, like, sentence her to death? For pretty um, much no reason? Oh, no, the... Oh, no, you're talking about the... Are you... Yeah. Oh, you, no, she does. About? Oh, no, so... So so Arthur sentences Kara to death because he says to her, it's... I don't have a problem with you using magic. I have a problem with the fact that you literally tried to kill me, so can you please not do that anymore? And she said no, and so she <laughs> then went to be hanged. But no, the person, <laughs> the person that Gwen sentences to death is the person who literally ratted them out and sent Morgana after Arthur. Right! Her, her yeah. era, which means Snow and Welsh. Fun fact. Yeah. Um, so yeah, She probably also deserved what she got, to be honest. Sort of! But that scene still annoyed me. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> No remorse. She was just like, no, bitch, you're dead. I have to say, this was the one time that I actually really did cheer for Gwen. I think it was one of those moments where, as a viewer, you you know that the chips are so down at this point, and this is mm. like, this, you know, okay, the characters in universe don't know this because it's just another bad day for them, like, with shit going <laughs> wrong. But as a viewer, you know that we're not only at the very end of the show, but that Arthur is going to die. And if he's not going to die, then it, he's going to be really in a bad way. So it's kind of like... You know, I feel like time of it, whatever happens. And like when you know that this person is responsible for like your protagonist and you know your fave, you know that everybody loves about to die. I feel like there's a different flavor to Gwen. You know, just outright saying you will go to your death knowing that you failed. Get out of my sight. And that's kind of like okay, this is pretty cool. You know, I will say it was a little spicy as a viewer, but as a writer, I was a little annoyed. 
Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But the flavor was immaculate. I wonder though if it was one of those things where because Camlan had been this be all end all, and I think Gwen knew in the lead up to it, and you know, in the tent, you know, they'd kind of said their goodbyes, and when and when Arthur left, I think deep down she knew there was a big chance she might never see him again, and so I think maybe for her, you know, from her point of view, well, you know, whether she acted logically or not, I don't really know. Like if she did act emotionally, then it was one of the you know first times that she's really done so. But this was probably something that came from deep within, like you know, no. I have like my one chance to save my husband now, you know, and I thought he was dead, but he's alive and you're the reason that he might have died. You're dead. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... But even that being said, Uther's the reason that Tom died. I know. I know. But I guess it changes because Arthur was still alive for a bit there. Arthur was still alive. I mean, and obviously a killing Aero wouldn't have made a a difference, but I think... Do you know what I think it is? I think the difference is is that you have a situation in which in season one Gwen is you know a civilian she's a servant she doesn't have any real power over life or death and she doesn't ever think she will so the question from Merlin is purely hypothetical and she responds like from a moral position but as queen she has a responsibility of upholding the law of the land and this particular person committed treason now what Uther did and this is where it comes tricky because we as a viewer know that what Uther did was wrong because he didn't necessarily have enough evidence probably to convict Tom. And he already knew thought that Tom was guilty, but Tom did commit a crime, even though he didn't want to. And Tom did run, which made him look guilty. And so Uther in his perspective was forced to execute him, which he said, you know, any, uh, what's the word? Um, any fugitives will, you know, be executed. So Gwen is like, I hate what he did, but I, you know, but my, but my father ran and what, and like, what else could I have done? So it's so like from her perspective, Uther's just upholding justice, quote unquote, whereas Aira literally was a traitor and like, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, like maybe I'm trying to make sense of it in my head. I don't know. No, no, no. I I think you all, I think you also need to remember that um, season five Gwen is not the same Gwen as season one Gwen. Like she still has like similar values because otherwise like Arthur wouldn't love her or like want to be with her if she didn't have the inherently like same kind of values that she did in season one when he started to fall in love with her or season two whatever but um she has seen a lot more shit and she has learned that if you don't act things have like not acting has sometimes worse consequences than acting. And I think a part of her probably blamed herself a little bit for not seeing the signs in Morgana much earlier. And so now she's just like, now she's in a position where she can actually do something. And she's like, no, you did the thing you're going to live or rather die with the consequences. Yeah, exactly. I won't go into sentence me to death. (laughs) I feel like that's like the Merlin version of I want this person to step on me. <laughs> I want to tell Everyone. me that I'm a traitor and that I should die. <laughs> Everyone wants Katie to step on them. That's just a scientific fact. That's correct. Right? Um, during a little intermission, we were just talking about like white savior movies and how 
white uh, writers or movie makers should maybe not tell black stories or stories of people of color because it turn tends to be very white savory. Savory. Hmm. Um, savory savior savior-esque. savior Thank you. It's always good to have like educated people on this podcast to help me. To help me Fun fact: words. I dropped out of high school, um, <laughs> <laughs> but then I got my GED, so now I'm in college, and it's all good. Yeah. So, um, anyway, this uh, kind of reminds me of something I have read online um, in a um, dissertation. I was actually a dissertation of uh, Rukmini Pandey, which has been uh, become more well-known in fandom circles because of the whole AO3 thing. Um, for anyone who doesn't doesn't know about this, the AO3 or special, specifically the OTW were heavily criticized for not um, taking more uh, precautions or making it more possible for fans of color to um, defend themselves against harassment on the AO3 like racist harassment because there is a thing that you can only like um get people like get them to help you with harassment when for example someone hasn't tagged their work in a correct way so like if they haven't used the correct archive warning for example or if they did anything that contradicts the terms of service and the terms of service don't currently include anything where you can report people for being racist to you. So, yes. So the AO3 is under um, uh, is under a lot of scrutiny from fandom at the moment. And Rukmini Pandey's dissertation came up because she wrote about fans of color and in fandom in general, but especially also like um, representation of non-white characters in fan works. Um, so she she has a whole thing about um, where she talks about the whole phenomenon of fans latching onto any random white male characters. For example, Star Wars sequel trilogy, where they would rather ship Kylo Ren and Hux than look at anything that is to do with Finn and Poe. Because... God, don't even talk to me about Finn and Poe. I'll start crying. <laughs> so that's something that came up and like a lot of other things. And then what Rukmini said is that some well-known white fans have written blog posts on Tumblr, LiveJournal, or wherever they put those. I don't know. I might have even been the AO3 itself, uh, where they said that white authors um, are afraid of writing characters of color because there's so much they could do wrong. And so they just would rather not write about them at all than educate themselves and get a sensitivity reader to make sure that they're representing a character of color in the correct way. So yeah, sensitivity readers are free, bro. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing about fandom, right? You find, you find a sensitivity reader for any sort of subject. If you look for one, you find a beta reader. If you look for one, it's just, you know, the resources are all there and there are, there are plenty of like posts on Tumblr and LiveJournal and wherever that like are from black people or people of color who give advice to white writers, how to write about 
black characters or brown characters or Asian characters or whatever non-white, non-Western characters you can think of. But that's something that struck me that that popped into my head earlier as well when we were talking about people not writing about Elian or about maybe Gwen as much. Uh, because, you know, some white authors will actually be afraid of not telling the story right. But that doesn't mean that they are not allowed to tell the story. It just means that they need to put more work into telling the story correctly. I think with not only fandom, but just media in general, the kind of feeling that I get, or at least, I, can, I mean, I can only speak for how I feel. I can't speak for everybody. But I think that like where sometimes it can become a little bit tricky is I know that I always feel very overwhelmed when there is such a diversity of opinion amongst a minority group of people that I don't even know if a sensitivity reader I mean I haven't ever had to come across this issue as um as far as I know but you know that you know this one particular person might think okay well this is perfectly okay and then another one doesn't and we literally had a conversation off mic like before like when we took a break how um there's a very kind of awkward diversity of opinion even in the black community with like people like Terry Crews and Anthony Mackie coming out and saying things about diversity in Hollywood and in the media which sound wrong but they are the opinions of black men and so it kind of I think if you're someone who's not from a minority group and you want to represent a different culture to your own I think it's not that it's like you don't feel like putting in the I mean no I'm sure some people don't feel like putting in the work but I think it's more kind of it feels sometimes as though nobody really knows what the rules are and people will have differing opinions. And so if you are not a part of that culture, your opinion is already less valid as it is. So, you know, if you're a black person who writes about black people and then another black person, you know, maybe doesn't like the way that it's represented, it's a lot more valid than someone like me writing about it because I'm not black and I don't know what it means to be black. So I think that's where maybe I mean that's where I kind of stand with it I don't know if all white people who write about people of color feel that way that's that's another thing that has come up with this like I've been talking to um some uh some people of color about the whole AO3 thing because one of the things that was like heavily discussed and um heavily um demanded was like an additional archive warning for racism like an actual warning, the same that you have for like major character death or uh, rape non-con stuff, like an actual archive warning that you have to put on your work. And then if you don't put it on your work, but there's racism in your work, then you then your work can be reported to the archive and the author can be made aware of like, you should put that warning on your work or choose no warnings, apply, uh, like choose no warnings. Um but that's the thing, and I've and I've talked to um, a bunch of Asian people actually about this, and they were like, "Well, racism doesn't look the same for everyone." Is the thing like there's there's anti-black racism, there's anti-Asian racism, there's anti-brown racism, there's anti-indigenous people racism. There is, um, for example, in Europe, apart from like a racism against people who don't have white skin, there is also racism against people who come from like Slavic countries, for example, like in Germany, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, like prejudice against people from, for example, uh, the Czech Republic or Poland. And it's just, 
or Russia or really any of the uh, Eastern European countries. Western Europe is just <clears throat> so there's like angry there... about Eastern Europe. Yeah, Sorry, but there's like all. there's like different types of racism, and racism looks different depending on where you are and who you are. Because racism looks different depending on where you are, what your cultural background is, who you are as a person, uh, like or your your race, your ethnicity, ethnic, ethnicity, ethnicity, ethnicity. Thank you, English hard. Um, Even for me, <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> in, in Germany it would be at least three words to describe the same concept. Um, uh, but like that is. There is a lot of ambiguity that because it is different for for everyone, for every region, for every culture, and you can't like just have a like a, a cookie cutter like definition of what racism is and then make it easy to warn for it because there is a lot of people who might have racist concepts in their story without realizing it, so they wouldn't tag for it if they knew that it's there, they would tag for it. But then again, not everyone might see the same thing as racist and it's just like that gets very very confusing and there is a danger of like just um one person or like a handful of volunteers who have one sort of experience judging these cases and so it's just it gets very very murky this is again this is what i've been hearing from people of color in in fandom, I didn't even think about that myself um, because I didn't I didn't really think about it like that because to me, like racism is a very large, all-encompassing thing where I think about like anti-black racism, where I also think about anti-brown um, racism, anti-Asian racism, anti. Eastern European or European racism, just because of my cultural background, but I can imagine that someone who is more US centric, for example, wouldn't even think about the kind of racism that happens in Europe. So um yeah, that's you know, there there there's two sides to the whole thing. And I'm not trying to defend the AO3 and say that they shouldn't do it. I'm just bringing in the voices of people of color that I've been hearing. Yeah, it's just a difficult issue that can take a while and multiple perspectives to solve. Yeah. I'm curious on your perspective, Sophie, on just kind of what I mentioned earlier on, you know, what would, like, what is, do you think that there is an answer for, you know, people obviously who are white in the entertainment industry or in fandom predominantly as well, like this is what we're kind of discussing, you know, having the biggest voice as it were to tell all sorts of stories that they want and are more likely to be listened to and taken seriously and then you know having that responsibility to provide diversity but not necessarily knowing where to start or like we've just said because there is already a huge diversity of opinion in even the black community itself or in the Asian community or in any kind of community you know is there really an answer to that or is it basically more to do with because when I was in university and we were making films, I was actually kind of trying to propel this narrative forward of like, 
I think, you know, we should all try to be really diverse in the people that we're including in our films, whether it be casting or whoever our crew is. And we were only a crew of like, what, nine people. But it was really important to me at the time. And I was like, you know, I don't just want to have an entire crew of white people when there are so many amazing black people, you know, in on the course that I would really, really love to have on my film. And, you know, we were talking about it and someone said, you know, what I think might be a better solution in terms of Hollywood in general is not, you know, white people telling black stories, but just have more black people in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, definitely. You know, have more I black people in fandom. Um, I think, well, you can't, like, force anyone to want no, to be of a course. part of those things. <laughs> you can't be like, you're going to join this fandom and damn it, you're going to write fan fiction. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. But I think the problem is, is that there are a lot of people of color in fandom spaces. And there are a lot of people of color in Hollywood, but the problem is um, they can say things and they can be extremely intelligent and they can have hot takes, but they're not amplified by the general public Yeah, exactly. the way white opinions are. And I think that the, and I don't know if this is a problem or not, but I think that the biggest, the loudest opinion in 2020 um, in the entertainment space is the opinion of a white liberal. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because it's so easy for white viewers to relate. Yeah. And to view their own opinions as like the best opinion and that they're doing a good thing and that they yeah. support diversity. But I think instead of tasking white people basically with the duty, quote unquote duty, <laughs> duty um <laughs> to, with the obligation um to amplify people of color's voices i think what we need to do is focus on collaboration um so i think that like what you said um you're a white person who i am is viewed as a white person in most spaces um but you wanted to have people of different ethnicities and from different areas of life on your team. And I think that's the best way to do it. I think that we need to make white people aware um, that no, they don't have an obligation to tell the stories of people of color, but they do have an obligation to include people of color mm -hmm. um, in their spaces. So I think the general solution is to just um, like with the Arwen thing, Look at your motivations. Look at what you subconsciously choose. If your writer's team or your directing team happens to be all white, ask yourself why that is. And in the future, make a conscious decision to have more people of color on the team. And if you're going to say that having more people on the color, having more people of color on your team is going to make the final product worse, um, because why should I cast someone because they're a person of color? Um, then you also need to look at that because it's not going to make it worse. It's it will not going make to it make worse. it more informed. Um, so people are always like, oh, I'm scared to say this thing because I don't know it or I don't have the experience or whatever. But the easy solution to that is to talk to people who do have that experience. Exactly. And I guarantee that if you try to approach it from a human perspective and try to be kind, people are willing to talk to you about it. I have never met a Black person who was not willing to have a conversation like an intelligent conversation about their experiences i mean i don't um i mean i had quite a few uh black people in my year at school most of them were um they weren't oh god i don't even know the term is it first generation when you're born somewhere 
like in a country? Um, first generation, no. First generation is when you move. Second generation is when your parents were the ones who moved. Right. So they were so like the teenagers were first generation teenagers that came from African countries, like and were and were immigrants in the UK. So like their families came, but they weren't born in the UK, but they had been there for like quite a few years. But um, at the time, there wasn't really much discussion about race. I mean, I went to school. I went to high school in 2004. I mean, that was just like, it just wasn't, it just like, it wasn't something that was ever discussed. And, you know, we were kids as well. It wasn't discussed with us. I mean, we talked about slavery and slavery is over. Great. You know, it was kind of that. And that was it. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, um, now as an adult, you know, like I work with quite a few black people or I did, like, I mean, in my restaurant job, in my big girl job, I only work with six people and none of them are black. But like there would be occasions where, you know, we'd be on a night out or we'd just be kind of out having a coffee. And I would just ask them sincerely, like, you know, if it came onto the topic, I said, you know, what what's your experience been like, you know, being a, a black waitress working in the UK? Because we're told in the UK all the time that America has ra- race issues. America has race issues. But do you think that we have the same problem here in the UK? And they talk to me about it and they don't I've never met anyone and maybe one day I will but I've never met a person that's never that that's had a problem having that conversation if it's coming from an intelligent place where you want to understand another human being better and how they exist in the world you know and I actually asked one of my friends I said do you talk to white people about race a lot and she said no because they take it personally <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like they they don't mm-hmm. they don't really they they think it's personal and it, you know it's not it's not like just basically speaking the truth that you know it's a system or that you know yes people do kind of look at me a bit differently when i approach a table right like they yeah. don't get it and i think that that's kind of from what i gathered from those friends of mine it's more of a reluctance because they know they won't be understood as opposed to like i don't want to talk about my experiences most people like talking about themselves so it's not really you know like mm-hmm. that kind of but it's kind of i just it would be great if people were more willing to listen <laughs> just to listen because that's yeah it's just just listen it's really it's really not difficult right or is it's it not. i don't know and if And I think it's a thing, too, where um, white creators are afraid of the reaction from people of color um, Mm. to what they create, if it comes off as white savory or whatever, whatever, etc. But if you have in-depth conversations and you listen to people of color while starting your thing, and then you employ sensitivity readers, you're Mm. always going to have that thing to fall back on. Yeah. which isn't exactly the same as being like, well, my black friend said it's okay. Um, It's like a different thing. But you can always rely on the idea that experience is diverse and that everybody has different experiences and that if you are writing something about a person of color and you're not, you're not trying to appeal to every person of color. You just want to come up with the most authentic representation of that experience that you can without trying to talk over them. Yeah. Um, so I think, like Rock said, it really comes down to listening to people and be will- being willing to listen and not taking shit personally because it's not about you. Exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a question I want to ask you, Sophie. Um, and um, it's a question that I think probably interests most of our listeners for personal 
reasons and because we are all in the Merlin fandom to some degree. And I understand. And and, uh, we understand if you don't want to answer this question or uh, go into it at all. I'm I'm just asking because you said I could ask you questions. And um, so, have you personally experienced any kind of like racism from fellow Merlin fans? Um, not against me personally. I think Mm -hmm. it mostly comes down to people not knowing that they're speaking to a person of color and kind of letting you, because in fandom there is, and I suppose this is sort of a form of racism too. There is the assumption that most fans are white young women. Yes. Um, and people will like, let me in on their secret opinions, their secret white thoughts. Um, and like people will be like oh well I love the show whatever whatever um, but I don't think that Gwen should have been black because it's not quote unquote historically accurate uh. which is the worst complaint it makes no sense <laughs> no. Um, because not only was it historically accurate possibly but also it's a show about magic um, but people will tell me stuff like that and then I'll have to awkwardly explain that I'm mixed race and that it makes me feel like shit when you say stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also with headcanons, like with um, modern versions of characters when people are like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this character was this in whatever? So a different religion, different ethnicity, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And people respond with, no, why are you changing the original character? Like, it doesn't matter. And it kind of just seems like you like it better when they're white for no specific reason. Mm -hmm. And so, no, no one has outright said, I've had very positive fandom experiences, probably because I know, like, when to take a break from the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, But no one's outright been racist to me. But I've certainly seen things that hurt my soul. Mm -hmm. um from the shadows and there is a decent amount of racism in the fandom even though it has not personally victimized me is there anything you would be comfortable with sharing um i mean mostly like what i already talked about with like those specific gwen blogs yeah (laughs) which oh god i I haven't been on the tag in a while, um, mostly because of them. Um, Fair. But, yeah, it's mostly that. And then um, oftentimes it comes down to just the volume of discourse, which just people... I'm talking very slowly because I want to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, People raising opinions like we talked about earlier with like, if you don't like Arwen, you're racist. And then people replying to that and everyone just gets so, so mad about it. Hmm. And it just, it gives off not good vibes um, from both sides because people are not looking at issues complexly. People are polarizing issues for no reason when there could be intelligent discussion. Uh, So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I th- it's it's so complex, right? Like, it can't... A, the answer to a question like, you know, if you don't like blank, are you a racist? You know, 
it, there are different the only answer that's solid is if you don't like black people are you a racist yes <laughs> yeah yes. exactly <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's the same with like um the idea that in order to not be racist you have to love and excuse every non-white character or even every person who isn't white like you that's that's not which is also bad and it's just yeah and it's and it's not what anyone is saying it's like what everybody well like what anybody is saying is that you should judge the person based or like a character you should judge them based on their personality the things that they do the the good things that they do or the bad things that they do or their opinions but not ever based on the color of their skin or their religion or what country they come from or what country their ancestors came from. I mean, I can understand the knee-jerk reaction, you know, like, I mean, obviously I'm not necessarily even talking about race here, but just in general, something that's very close to, you know, your heart. I can understand the knee-jerk reaction to want to kind of protect. And um, especially if, you know, if a certain kind of character, or in this case, black people, is continuously demonized in society and particularly portrayed badly in media, I can completely understand the need to you know even if a black character is kind of problematic because of the things that they do in a particular thing i can understand people being like no 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 no, but i still want to protect because yeah. it's like you I know mean, not you another also, one you know <laughs> you also need to i mean you also need to examine the the reason for why i mean that, that's the same thing we said earlier with like uh gwen and also the arwen ship and so on it's like if you don't like um a non-white character or a person of color Right. If you don't like them, examine why you don't like them. And if it's anything to do with just like really purely their action. And if you would dislike the same person, if they had a different skin color, then you're probably okay. But if there's like, if your dislike is rooted in something that is inherently racist or has like racist uh, roots or stereotypes attached to it, then you really should think about that. And probably, you know, change something about how you view people i think it's also important to um because okay so we talked about how a lot of the black male characters in the show coincidentally had a criminal past yeah um but i think it's also important to recognize that if you're getting super uncomfortable with a character of color having a criminal past, then that's also something that you should look at. Um, because, like, with Elian, I don't have a problem with that criminal past, mm-hmm. um, for the most part, because he's a complex character. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to say, no, he shouldn't have a criminal past because he's Black, yeah, that's sort of narrowing the way that you can write Black characters for no reason other than that you want to avoid getting yelled at. Yeah. Um, which I think is also something that you should avoid. Basically, yeah. it's super confusing for everyone all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's just always... kind of what I was saying. Yeah, it's very yeah, confusing. It's, it's, always, it's always complex and you always need to, like, you know, like we said, examine your motivation for doing one thing or the other thing. And when in doubt, talk to an actual Black person or person of color, get a sensitivity breeder, or just, like, have conversations with people who are not white to see what you know, how they feel about things and to understand that all humans are complex and have more than one facet to them. 
Unless you're Percival. Unless you're Percival. <laughs> <laughs> old people. Everybody is complex except for Percival. Percival. He's who's just, just soft and big. Yes, exactly. I well, like to think... He's the epitome of tall. Yeah. With, with an O and two L. Yes. I, I mean, I, I like to think I'm not particularly complex, to be quite honest with you. Oh, but you that's are. just <laughs> oh, 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 there's no. layers there. I'm a very straightforward person. No, you feed you're... me, I'm happy. You give me tsundere, I'm happy. <laughs> no, you, you're, you're just repressing how complex This isn't are. a Shrek 2 reference. It's a Shrek reference, uh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but you have layers, like an onion. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of Shrek 2, there was, um, I was watching an honest trailer. No, no, no. I like... I, this, I this, told you you can set her off with just no, like the smallest thing. This is referring thing. to the topic. This is referring to the topic. But they, but I was watching an honest trailer for the movie, and obviously you cannot say anything negative about Shrek Two because it's a masterpiece. But there was one thing that they commented on on how, ooh, if this was made today, they might not have included this because it did not age well. And it's when Donkey is in his uh, horse form and they're being arrested, and he's shouting, "Police brutality! Police brutality!" And it's like, oh. Oh. I mean, yeah. it's been police brutality, but it's not spicy. That was, yeah, that was, that was, but like, you know, that, yeah. So Ooh. maybe that would have not been included in 2020, but it Trek was. Trek 2 made. has one flaw. Has one flaw. <laughs> no, the only flaw in Trek 2 is that the entire movie was not I need a hero sequence, but it was, <laughs> it was the perfect length. It was just absolutely perfect. So there we go. But. Yeah, I managed to get Shrek 2 into the podcast somehow. I feel very happy about that. So that was a lot for us to to get through, a lot for all of us to think about and to um, kind of marinate in. And I'm sure that a bunch of our listeners will have interesting things to say. Hot takes. Hot takes. Um if you are, especially if you're, you know, a black fan or a fan of color, please get in touch with us if you want to share your experience or your opinion on something that we said or something that we didn't mention, then we would be very interested in hearing from you in response to this episode. And in order for you to find us, I think Rox can give you all the places where you can contact us because she does it so well. Oh, but I'm not prepared. Wait. <laughs> it's it's at the bottom of the script. I'm not on the script. Hang on. Well, that's not... I mean, I can try. <laughs> yes! <laughs> From memory. You try. Yes! Sophie, oh, okay. you do it. Um, oh, God. You can find them on Twitter, at Merlisten Podcast, or wherever, whatever their handle is. Just look up Merlisten. It's there. Um, <laughs> they have... A thing on Paraka Productions. You, I just did it now. Just Google Merlin Paraka Productions. There they are. Wow. Um, there's an email, but I don't remember what it is. Thank you. <laughs> don't don't send them emails. What are you doing? No one sends uh, emails. Find them on Twitter. Sophie sent us emails. Send emails. Um, because I don't like using Twitter. But Paraka Productions and Twitter. Okay. We also have a Tumblr. Where oh, they have a Tumblr. At, we have a Tumblr where we're at Melissa, just like on Twitter. We are on iTunes as Melissa. Um, our email is melissa.podcast at gmail.com. We have a Discord that you can join. You just need to uh, get in touch with either Rox or me for the invite. Please give me the invite. I, I will. I will. More than, more than happily. Oh, thank we you. We have... We have a bingo that you can play. 
uh, you just need to send me a message and I will send you a bingo card and then you can play along while you listen to episodes and rejoice whenever whenever Rox defends Uther or I drag Rox or bring up a remedy to cure all ills, which I did in this episode. So Yes you did. If you if you have that on your card, then you can definitely <laughs> cross that out. Oh wait, I thought you said you didn't. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> I'm not even here anymore. <laughs> and finally, we do have a Kofi. It's also Merlissa and you can find it. And uh something we decided recently that we would do that anything that you donate to us through Kofi as a like a financial tip like it's literally buying us a coffee basically that any any donations that we receive through Kofi we will then in return donate to an anti-racist project in Britain and we will do this not just for the month of June or rather July when this episode comes out we will do this at the very least for the rest of the year and I'm sure that Rox and I will be more than happy to consider doing this long term. So, yes. if so you... I didn't remember like any of them, but I got the two biggins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the the two big ones. That's correct. And like I always say, you can just Google them or listen. You will find our website right away. So you you proved my point. Nice. So thank you for that. Okay. So now you know where you can find us, which means you have no excuse not to come and talk to us. And that means that we are truly wrapping up our theme music, if you didn't know yet, was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Melissa. All the other sound effects and music that we probably use in this episode comes from freesound.org. The man up on our cover was made by Berlin's Keep and the cover was made by me. I am Zancredible27 on Tumblr. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm Zancredible27 on Tumblr for all kinds of reblogs and Zancredible on AO3 for fakes. That's Zancredible with an X at the beginning and then AN. And incredible, like in- incredible, obviously. <laughs> and also a credible source. Aww. Uh, and I am Miss Snowfox on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. I have now deleted the extra X. Can you believe Woo! It? It's taken me so many years. Yeah. <laughs> it's finally mine again. It's going to be a weird transition, but I'm sure we'll all power through. So that's that. Also, Miss Snowfox cosplays for cosplay stuff on Instagram. And I'm also Miss Snowfox on AO3 where I write fic. But unfortunately for any pure Merlin fans, pure-blooded Merlin fans that listen to us, uh, I don't write for Merlin at the moment. I write for Haikyuu. But if you happen to be a crossover fandom person, then go ahead. I have met a few Merlin fans in the Haikyuu discords I'm in, which was a very strange experience. So I know that we exist. <laughs> so there you go. And that's where I live. Um, Sophie, do you want to pluck yourself again? or? Uh, sure. Um, I'm at Canoe Pirate on most things. Canoe, like the type of boat. Pirate, like Arg matey. There you go. <laughs> um, if you look up Canoe Pirate and nothing comes up, I'm probably not on that platform. I'm pretty consistent. So there you go. Yeah, I already found you on Twitter, so I can confirm. Great. Yeah, wonderful. Well, I follow you guys on Twitter, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think this has been it. Next time, we really will get started with the costumes episode for Gwen and Morgana, and we'll start with, with Gwen. But that's not for another couple of weeks, so. Yeah, maybe we'll listen to this episode a few times 
figure out how you feel about any of it, talk to us, and then we'll talk to you soon. Yay! Our, yes. Sophie, thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute blast. Thanks. Thanks we for having that, Yeah. We hope you come back for something. Like, literally anything. Pick anything you want. Bring to me back, back for Servant of Two Masters. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's not for another three years or something like that. I don't like care. That. I'll be You're, ready. <laughs> Okay, we have to we'll have to pick a, uh, an episode sooner than that. But okay. I will I will put you down on the schedule. Reach out for to that me. Episode. I love most of the episodes. So, thank you everyone for joining us and <laughs> goodbye. Bye. Bye. We didn't. Did we say I'm so incredible? I'm Miss Snowfox at the end. No. Yes. No, we know. No, we didn't. You know what? I'll just sing the theme song. <laughs> it just it fits the entire episode. Honestly, it's fine. Let me just swallow. Hang on. <laughs> Title of your sixteen. Fuck off. <laughs> the other title of your other sixteen. Listen, I'm gonna choke. <laughs> <laughs> you are so transparent you might as well be a window <laughs> Alex is a window and behind that window is just Tom Lua Eden's face <laughs> that is by far one of the best things you have ever said Rox I, I'm very offended by that I would like a, something else to have been better <laughs> Fourth sex tape. <laughs> I was just about to plug myself as well, so and no, I love not your like sex tape. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, I've forgotten my name. Okay. <laughs>